White Sox fans, Alyssa Bergamini, your in-game host for your Chicago White Sox, and you're watching the best podcast on the south side of Chicago, South Burbs Hitman. Make sure you tune in. Everybody and welcome to South Burbs Hitman. I am one of your hosts, Joe Mandel, and I'm joined by my White Sox brother in arms. I'm talking about Chris Gonzalez, Vinny Parisi, and Steven Zim Zimmerman. Might stop by later. We also have a special guest joining us tonight on the show who's going to be part of the conversation. And of course, we're talking about friend of the show, Ozzy Gian Jr. Jr., thanks for being with us tonight, my friend. Guys, thank you guys for having me. And uh, no problem. And Vinny and Chris, uh, real quick, uh, how you guys doing? How you feeling about the week that was? Yeah, I mean, it was a very interesting week for the White Sox. There were ups and downs, ebbs and flows, kind of like how it's been all season long. Um, they're 23 and 23 as a result. Not really much of a surprise when you're that up and down all season long. You're going to be hot. You're going to be cold. You're going to have a 500 record. That's what this team is right now. Junior, it's my pleasure to say what up to you, my man. I love having you on. So what's up, man? Thank you, thank you. Uh, again, uh, ready to talk some uh, some White Sox baseball. Give my input and have you know hear what you guys have to say and see what you guys uh, think of are gonna what's gonna happen the rest of the way. A very interesting week coming in to be on the show, and then what's probably going to be the hardest month I think for the White Sox in a long time. Yeah, for sure. It's a it's a tough week of schedule, which we'll dive into a little bit later, but. 
the big news this week is the the Tim Anderson injury, as we saw in the open of the show. So, guys, I think that's the number one conversation starter here. Uh, Vinny, I don't believe we've seen anything come out. I know they said the team was going to update us today. I haven't seen any updates. Have you heard anything, Ben? Yeah, I saw a tweet from James Fagan saying they're going to give an update tomorrow. They gave so, the update today. I, oh, here's my first question. Let's just start off right off the bat. Do you guys think the White Sox are going to give you guys the real diet? You guys, they're going to give you the real status eh. tomorrow. Tomorrow, no, I, I, I don't doubt know. it. I doubt it. I uh, they probably will. They're going to say something about the groin. Would be my guess. Okay, so groin, so groin injuries can mean a lot of things. So Ozzy Guillen had his groin injured because I asked him if he ever had it. And he said he didn't, and he played through it. Okay, because there's different levels of groin injuries. It's like pulling a pulling your hamstring. You know, there's there's different levels because of it. But as as much as it could be something that you can play through and kind of just you know, slow down and, you know, kind of not be a hundred percent. It could, it could be extremely, extremely uh, difficult to come back from it just because of where it is in the body. Okay. So I'm, I'm very concerned to be honest with you because it was in a non-contact play. Okay. Yeah. What that means is that it was his body giving out. Okay. His body's basically the muscle just had enough and, you know, it kind of just goes, it goes whack. Like it just doesn't work. work. That's why I'm, I'm concerned. It had it been like a contact play, you know, of somebody running into him, it could be bruised, but the fact that it just snapped and his reaction to it and him coming off, hopefully, you know, it was being a little bit more dramatic, but when you see a guy not being able to come off the field, you, you start, you start worrying about it because that's, I think every player when they get hurt, they want to come off the field just because their fans and their family members are watching at home. They don't want to scare anyone. And if it's going to be bad news, you want to give it to them later. That's usually like the family baseball mindset, but I I'm very concerned about what could be happening in the next couple months, especially because of who TA is not because of how he plays because he's an amazing player, but because of how he performs. He's a speed guy who has to play shortstop which is a position that you have to move in. So it's very hard for him to be like, oh, yeah, he'll come back and, like, you know, be a DH, which, again, he could probably do. But it's just his position is just one that you have to be moving constantly. Yeah, and, and he's a guy that, you know, he's really been the straw that stirs the drink for this team all season long. So obviously losing it at this point, going up against our toughest stretch of the season. I mean, this week alone we get Toronto and we get Tampa, and it only gets worse from there. Uh, this is a guy that kind of keeps things moving. And then they call up Danny Bendick in his place. Junior, do you see anything else uh, happening roster-wise? I mean, we'll talk uh, – our next talking points about the list that came out today for the restricted list. But before we get to that, do you <laughs> see anything else happening besides Danny Mendick? You know what? I think Danny Mendick becomes extremely important, okay? And this is when you start considering about that depth chart of why they signed Larry for the amount of money that they signed Larry – Again, we always worry about one side of the of the ball always more than the other, which is obviously offense for the White Sox. If the White Sox today, if I was a general manager, and again, I'm playing just my my opinion, I'm having conversations with the medical team, okay? And if you think that Tim Anderson is out for a significant amount of time, okay, that is going to impact you in a year that you think that you can get into the playoffs and really do some damage. 
okay, or or hinder anything of the future, you have to make a move. You have to go in and find a way, either make a move or say, we believe in Danny Mendick and he is going to be our everyday shortstop and we'll fi- figure out in other places to replace Tim Anderson. But you have to make a move. Unless Tim is back in in a you know very rapid time, it's a conversation that you have to think about and say, there's are places. And last year it happened, man. Last year, the White Sox was as much fun as we make of Germinator and his whole, you know, WWE type of baseball career that he had. He literally did not, they did not need Eloy Jimenez because of what he did those first two months. Like, he was better than Eloy. Like, that's realistically, like, there's nothing Eloy could have done better than Germinator in that first two months of the season last year. So that void wasn't that big. The Tim Anderson void is huge because of what he can do offensively, especially with a team that, can't hit, you know, not only can they not hit very well right now, they're not very good at producing runs. So Tim Anderson was pretty much like, like I would say 75% of the offense that they had going on. So he is a huge, huge deal for them um, being able to go down again in that aspect. I think Mendy could play shortstop and I don't think, you know, they're going to miss him that much from a Tim Anderson standpoint, but from, from the offensive side, very different team without Tim Anderson. Yeah, and, and as you can see from the clip there, <clears throat> definitely grabbing the groin area. Never, never a good sign. Uh, all right. Well, we touched on the Tim Anderson stuff. We'll keep it, we'll keep it touch. We'll touch on a couple talking points before we get to the segmented portions here. Uh, but guys, I, I gotta dive into briefly, and I don't want to get too crazy political on this. I just it is news. We have to report on it. So we did have before today's uh travel for the team. The White Sox did release uh, this image, which uh, they made some roster moves. They put Dylan Cease and Kendall Graveman on the restricted list, recalled Kyle Crick, and placed Keuchel on waivers because they're going to basically release him. So Dylan Cease and Kendall Graveman, what this essentially means, and Junior, you probably know more than me than I would about it, but it essentially means that they're probably the only two guys that are unvaccinated on the team. Um Dylan wasn't going to have a start, but Graven would have probably pitched uh, at least an inning or two. Um, but J- Junior, from your experience, is that is that essentially what this means? It means either that they got COVID, you know, uh, or or their wives are you know I don't even know if they're married, but though their wives are giving birth or something in their family. I think that that weird move that C's got jumped. I think that they were planning for this. Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought that the list was going to be a lot longer. Okay. Um, then when it came out, I think the Graveman move, again, you don't want to get in anyone's personal business. I think that's the one they're going to miss the most because sees again, other than him hanging out and eating sunflower seeds and doing his bullpen in Toronto, you know, unless they get in the team fight and he was out there to separate a couple guys, it doesn't really matter because he wasn't pitching. Um, but the Graveman part is a big part of their bullpen, meaning it's a big series against Toronto. I, I think, you know, you need all danks, all, all hands on deck because there might be a game that's very close that you might have to extend Kyle. Okay. Um, and yep. especially you extend Kyle. So I think that the way that they could kind of do it is, you know, a combination of someone replaces Graveman. If we do extend Hendricks, you know, with Liam, we use Graveman more in the second series against Tampa, you know, and kind of we'll go heavy up front with these guys. And then we'll hopefully we'll have it, everything figured out by the time we hit uh, Los Angeles. But uh, yeah, it's it's again, it's it's the reality that we live in today. Fans can say whatever they want. 
about who is and who isn't. Just be lucky that we don't play in that division, okay? Um, because there's players that are missing a lot more games because they're in that division and they can't go to Toronto. That's the reality of it. And again, everybody kind of makes their own personal decisions. Um, yep. Is there going to be any playoff, the clubhouse animosity of a guy going or not going? Again, I don't think that, I think that most of the guys probably know and say, okay, it is what it is. Uh, this was in the middle of a pennant race and it was August. I think that you guys would be like really, really upset maybe and say, you got to do what you got to do. But again, you got to respect everyone's wishes and, you know, and kind of just kind of go with that and figure it out. Again, Tony, Tony made, Tony, Tony some made a comment and I don't think people liked it very much. As much as you miss TA, as much as you miss Eloy, as much as you miss C's, um, you have to worry. You can miss them and then put them in the back of your thoughts. But when you go and turn in that lineup card, you have to believe that anyone that's in that lineup can beat the team that you're facing. You cannot make excuses and say, oh, well, we're, we missed so-and-so. That's why we lost. And White Sox fans are huge about that. They'll lose three games. Oh, it's because Eloy's hurt and this guy. It's like, no, 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 no. This is Major League Baseball. Your roster construction should be good enough and have it be deep enough that they're giving you the tools. That kid that they call out from AAA, Tony's counting on him to become the big leagues and, you know, be just as good as any big league player. Um, anyone that gets called up, you, you got to be – it's professional baseball, you know. You're not calling your buddy that's never played baseball for a, a game on Sunday because you have you're going to forfeit. You know these guys are pros, and I think the coaching staff and the and the manager think that you're going to be you know you're doing the job at the highest level possible. So I don't think Tony's like, oh, I'm going to lose two out of three, or I'm not going to sweep because I'm missing Graveman. You just adapt to it because Graveman could be going down because of the flu. You know, something sure. happens in their life, seeing his family. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, good, good point, Junior. Uh, Vinny, I want to come to you for a moment. Have you heard anything uh, being reported on anything behind this, behind the scenes? I know you've got a couple of ears to the ground, so coming to you. Yeah, so if they had COVID, they would be on the COVID-19 injured list, and that is different than the COVID-19 restricted list. It is because they don't meet the vaccination requirements to enter Canada, which – Again, I'm pretty sure this is the White Sox only visit to Toronto this season, which Junior makes a great point, better than the Red Sox. We're going to make, you know, three or four visits over there this season. It's not like we're restricted from them playing in Minnesota or Detroit. You know, that would be a problem because they did get Dylan Cease to start in a day earlier than we thought. They blamed it on getting Kopech extra rest and whatnot, but they, I, I kind of believe that because he's still not going till Wednesday rather than tomorrow. So I do believe that is still a little bit of the reason that he was skipped along. But last year, I was under the assumption that the entire White Sox roster was vaccinated. And I'm not sure if that's true, but I was under the assumption the entire year that they were the only team in baseball that had I know they were the first to reach the 85% because they made the big deal about yep. the Johnson and Johnson thing. But um, I was under the assumption that they were fully vaccinated all year long. But I think minor bad. leagues. I, well, no, you know, Scott, yeah. Scott Merkin probably told you that. Why Sox fans need to stop reading marketing and, and media stuff? Well, regardless, Cease <laughs> was on that team. So I don't know if there's booster requirements to whatever. But Dylan Cease and Kendall Graveman, I don't really care about Cease. As you guys pointed out a couple times, doesn't matter. He's not starting. Dylan Cease is going to be the guy junior to break up a fight anyway, his skinny little yeah. ass. So, you know, <laughs> maybe, if, maybe if Gavin Sheets was out because of COVID restrictions, then we'd be worried about if a fight broke out. But, you know, Dylan Cease is not going to be there. Graveman, that stinks. They're going to call, they called up Crick. He's going to replace him 
in the group. When TA hits the injured list, though, they're probably going to bring up somebody else. There's probably going to be another player that comes up. I, I don't know who it's going to be. They already have Banks back up and, you know, Sousa's here, but we'll see who they call up in that place. It could be Lambert. It could be a plethora of other pitchers. We'll see what their decision is. But, you know, it sucks. But the minor league players, they don't have the Players Association protecting them from being forced to get vaccinated. So sure. that that's the thing that makes that a little bit of a different story. But, you know, there are going to be people mad about it. There are going to be people saying, I don't care. There are going to be people saying, oh, good for them. But it is what it is. Three games without Cease and Graveman in the dugout. Not ideal on the Graveman part of things. But you saw he was used on Sunday anyway. So really, you're probably only missing, what, one or two innings one from game. him? Yeah. So hopefully he'll be fully ready to go. They, they did use him a lot so far this season. Um, we'll see a Friday, I guess, Graveman. And I don't know, Cease's next projected starts probably either Friday or Saturday, I would assume. So mm-hmm. it's probably Saturday. But, you know. I really don't have much more on that. I was just reading a couple of reporters' tweets and whatnot, and I wasn't told anything personally, but I'm under the assumption that the COVID injured list is different than the COVID restricted list, just based on following the Red Sox and the Yankees all season long. There are a couple guys on those teams who weren't able to go up to Toronto, and there, there's a difference between the two lists there. So uh, I'm more cool. concerned about the Tim Anderson injury if we're being frank yeah, about anything. No, no, no doubt. That's obviously the big, the big news. Uh, appreciate the update there, Vin. And then our last talking point before we get into the segmented portion of the show, uh, Lance Lynn had his rehab start over the weekend. He looked great. And Eloy got injured in his first rehab start and his day-to-day. So uh, talk about two polar opposite things. I mean, they, they're saying Eloy's not that bad, but always concerning when a guy coming back immediately tweaks um, himself. But the most encouraging news is Lance Lynn, especially with the fact that Keuchel is going to be released probably within, I'd say probably within the next 24 hours. Uh, Gonzo, I don't know if you got a chance to see any of Lynn's performance. There's a lot of stuff on on the night's Twitter. Uh, what what does what does this guy Lance Lynn bring back to this team? Because aside from his presence, uh, this is a guy that is going to be a big shot in the arm for this rotation. Yeah, I mean. To begin the season, if he was healthy, he would still be my ace entering the season. Um, a guy that just eats up innings, saves a bullpen. And at this moment, Saturday is the date that is our fit spot in the rotation. Since we don't have Keiko, that means we're going to stick with Velasquez or Lopez on the mound. Um, so we still have to deal with that fit spot of the rotation for at least the next 10 days. Um, so as soon as we can get Lynn back up, that will help the rotation tremendously. Um, but altogether, um, this, these bats need to wake up. Um, you can say that we only missed Understa- a game out of, yeah, you can say we're only going to miss a game from Graveman, but who says we even see Graveman if the bats don't wake up in Toronto? Good point. Yeah. Um, yeah we could be getting smoked. So we don't even see Graveman and we don't see C's cause they, like junior said, they plan that ahead of time with allowing C's to go on Sunday. So all together, yeah. I mean, the pitching is going to carry us like it's already have done this season, and it's only going to get better with Lynn coming back. But my question is, when are the next possible bat coming back 
besides Robert, who's going to help, is going to be Eloy likely. And mm-hmm. could Eloy's day to day, I think that's probably just soreness from him getting back into it again, uh, which happens with injuries. Everyone reacts differently. I'm sure for him, it's just general soreness. That's just my guess. Sure. Um, but as soon as we get Eloy back, that's just another bat that hopefully can put that spark into lineup or at least make the lineup a little bit more deeper. Cause yeah, I mean, sure. we've all seen Tony's been trying every possible way to get that lineup going and sparked up. He gets the blame for it, but how can you blame him when our offense is at the is bottom of the league, bottom of the barrel right yeah, now? No doubt. And, uh, Junior, real quick. I know we talked a little bit before the playoffs, but were you were you uh, were you worried at all what you saw out of Lance Lynn in the playoffs last season? Lance Lynn hasn't pitched well since before the All Star break. And Correct. The White Sox keep ignoring that because they like how he looks because he looks like one of their neighbors. So <laughs> Lance Lynn's look. He reminds me a little bit of Mark Burley and you know his screaming and his shouting. He's a veteran, you know. I know that if he's healthy, he's going to go out there and compete with what he has. I don't think that he's a better pitcher today than Cease or Kopech, meaning what they've been able to throw this season. But he'll definitely, if he can pitch average like he has, he'll be able to compete. Lancelin is not going to shut guys' teams out one to nothing. That's not that's not Lancelin. Like he might do it for one star, Kansas City, Detroit. But when the big teams come up, he will get hit. He will get, you know, runs will score. So that's when your offense – you know, we'll step up. And that's how pitching usually goes in the American League, um, especially now with the great offenses. But I think that having him back is a healthy thing. I don't think Vince, again, I don't think White Sox fans watch much baseball. They didn't know who Vince Velasquez was until he came up and they Googled him. Vince Velasquez got traded from the Phillies because he wasn't a good starter, meaning he couldn't figure it out as a starter. He was kind of like the Ronaldo Lopez of the Philadelphia Phillies. The Padres trade him actually for him to be a bullpen guy. Okay, and then there was a couple injuries with the Padres that made him be able to start and kind of stop his process coming in. And I don't know if the whites, I don't think the white sides ever really had intentions for him to be a full time starter. Like he is, could be very, very dangerous. I still think by bringing you the best again, giving you three innings, two innings. We've seen that a couple of times. Tony has been blamed for leaving Vince a little bit too much, too long. But he is a great, you know, he can give you three really good innings depending on where you're going to put him. Um, again, in today's world, that's enough for a starter. But I think that he has really good enough stuff to go to the bullpen at any given moment and and actually make the bullpen better and the whole staff. Lynn comes in, Vince goes up, and then you keep Cueto. But I think that's why the reason that they got rid of Dallas was I don't think Dallas could have helped them from the bullpen. Um, you know, there's really no kind of situation unless he was like a long reliever. Um, again, when would you put him in? Uh, if you wanted that, if not, why would you start him? But I think that I think Vince Velasquez can bring some value and he's pitched decent, at least again, average for the White Sox. And I think that they can have him as a spot start or put him in the bullpen and be complete. And again, Ronaldo Lopez is the same thing. Can Ronaldo start a game? Absolutely. But he's obviously been way more effective in his career with the White Sox as a reliever. Again, yeah. You're going to go with uh, – I I need – White Sox fans need to stop this conversation of playoff talk and setting up playoff rotation in their imaginary head. White Sox are not in the playoffs today. They're the seventh seed, maybe, depending on what day of the week you look at it. So they need to win. They need to get into the playoffs before they start thinking about matchups and rotations and who's going to get the ball game won. Like they're, they're – you see Twitter and you see fans that – I don't – and 
and the media and and I, I constantly argue this with Ozzy like they're in La La like they're in La La Land, you know they don't look at I don't I'm like they don't look at games and look that Twins are still winning, they don't they don't act like our history's there. So I think that you really need to start winning games now and then worry about that rotation. Like you get into the playoffs, then you worry about who starts game one, two, three. Again, if I don't think there's been a better performance by many guys in the big leagues more than Cease, Kopech, and Giolito. I think that's a very good three guys that have been very consistent uh, in what we have of a season. So uh, when I think White Sox problems, I don't think starters. I don't think, oh, my God, the starters are horrible. We need to get pitching, which I think everybody thought that was going to be the case. I actually think it's probably the brightest future for the White Sox right now because the White Sox want to ignore the elephant in the room. That elephant in the room is Eloy Jimenez and Pantera. They both look amazing in uniforms. They're great for marketing. They're fun, but they're never on the field. Let's be realistic. Pantera's never played more than 100 games in the big leagues yet. Okay? He got paid, by the way. Okay? So he's getting paid a significant amount of money without being there. Now, with the injuries going down, you know, maybe you're not getting a guy in Moncada that is what you signed him as to be, meaning – is John Moncada a very good third baseman, way above Brad average? Absolutely. But is he going to hit 30 home runs? If you still think that, I don't think your baseball knowledge is as strong as it you think that it is because I don't see it. Okay, he's a great switch hitter. He's like a, He could be Gucci, but he was sold like he was Frank Thomas. And I love <laughs> Moncada. I think the White Sox fans don't deserve him one absolutely bit because they just think that he was going to be this amazing player. But they really have this pressure on these guys that have never done it, okay? The only guy on this mm-hmm. team that that I look at, other than Grandal, because he's done it at other places, that I'm like, the one year that this guy's going to have off is the year that they needed him the most, and everyone's going to remember him for this awful year if he doesn't fi- fix it, is Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu's been more consistent than any player, you know, in a White Sox uniform in a long, long time. But there's a lot of there, there's a lot of banking and a lot of guys with a White Sox uniform that are what ifs. Okay. There's still what ifs. Yeah, Pantera's a cunha and Pantera's this. And but if he doesn't stay in the field, you know, it, it we don't know, you know, and that that's the, the player can make that. We've seen it with the twins of Byron Buxton. Byron's healthy, twins play better. Can Pantera stay healthy and play a lot? Can Eli stay better and play a lot? And I'm talking about getting 130 plus games. When you look at this team, there is, I don't know if it's, if it's rest from that, they get too much rest, that they don't get enough rest. But when you look at the games played, it's, I don't think Larry Garcia plays as many games as he's played with the White Sox. If he played in anywhere else, he is an everyday player that plays every day else because somebody on the White Sox lineup is either hurt or getting a day off again, whichever way it is. So it's a team that you got to, you got to address the elephant in the room of, are these guys going to be healthy? You know, are these guys going to come back and how healthy are they going to come back? Or are they going to, you know, are they going to break down in, 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 and now the guy that was the most consistent guy, meaning from a health standpoint, he has gone down and now it's like, okay, is it going to be a health issue? So that's my concern is that why does a beautiful lineup on MLB, the show ridiculous lineup on MLB, the show. But when it gets to real life and you have to play the games, they have a problem staying healthy. Is it their fault? I don't know. Is it the trainer's fault? I don't know. For some reason or not, they're not healthy. And if you're not healthy, you can't produce and you can't win games. And 
I think I think fans are throwing out the Atlanta Braves comparison. Okay. The oh Atlanta had the same record that we had that last year before they won the World Series. Way different offenses, and they made like six major trades going into the playoffs for really good offensive players. Like they had they had like four guys on the bench that could have been starting in any team. So are the White Sox going to make moves like that for who? We already got a bunch of guys that are younger that we won't move. So that's my concern is like we're not hitting, and but none of these guys have the track record of producing at high levels except two guys, which is Grandal and uh, and Abreu. Everyone else has been hit or miss whatever season you pick. So it's not a guarantee that this guy's going to hit 300 and drive in 100 because he's done it nine years in a row. So a lot of guys, are, it's like, what season are you going to get? Are you going to get Moncada 19? Are you going to get Moncada 2021? Like it's so you don't know that that's why it's very hard to pick because there's a lot of guys that are not consistent. But Junior, that's Moncada's up, playing hurt. That sets up perfectly for the those decisions set us perfectly for if your father was the manager, he'd be on the hot seat right now because of execution. And similarly, similarly sets itself for Larusa's La locker. Yeah, so this is the part of the show where we usually rip Tony Larusa apart. At least this season, uh, it's been up and down the last last season, but this year it's been pretty consistently baffling. Um, but Junior, as our guest, we'll, we'll let you lead things off here. Um, critiques of Tony Larusa the past week, or feel free to ch- do the whole season as a whole. It's up to you. <laughs> you know, it's I saw Pythagorean, and it's the they give you the stats. Okay, on what they, the record should be for this team. Tony Ruza is the easiest scapegoat, okay, because they have this theory that Jerry picked him and he was the guy and, you know, they wanted this guy and they they wanted everyone. And Tony's like the, the evil guy from day one. Guy couldn't win one. Connie Mack could be managing the Chicago White Sox right now and you might have three more victories as it is, Okay. You wouldn't be you wouldn't be uh, winning by you wouldn't be winning the division by 25 games because Tony's a manager. That's just my first take there. Okay, the rumors on Ozzy Ozzy would be great for this team. On paper, guys are Latino. They would. I don't think this team could handle Ozzy for many reasons, meaning mentally, physically. Meaning, I don't know how they react to him because they're not his players. So that question is like, eh, it's a different time. So that one's like always funny when people bring up, but the, the you're always going to second guess your managers. I think tone number one, people have hated his lineups. Okay. I think they've hated his lineups because the guy has not had anyone healthy the whole year. So it's very hard making a lineup when you don't have the guys that are supposed to produce in those positions. Okay. And you have to start playing around and literally throwing whoever is there. Okay, because it's like, who is going to play? Uh, I guarantee you, if Tony finds a second spot that hits, that guy will probably stay there for consistency if Abreu was producing. So I think that those lineups, again, they're going to be out there. And I, I know people get mad and 
The Andrew Vaughn situation, I think it's very hard because the guy that is in front of him is Jose Abreu, okay? had if, if it wasn't Jose Abreu, I think they would have made the move already, and it's a very heavy DH team, okay? Meaning you you can't you can't just Grandal DH every day because he is a catcher and play McGuire. You can't DH Abreu every day because then you can't get other guys in the lineup. So I think that's a very challenging situation as it is for him as a manager. The part on him in managing bullpens, leaving guys a little bit too long, in some people's opinion, not pulling guys out enough. Again, that's something on an execution standpoint that it can work sometimes. I think sometimes he's made the right moves and guys don't don't deliver. Um, I'll give you an example. Jake Berger, the hero of the Cubs game. White Sox fans only watch the, the base hit up the middle. Play at third base that he backhand, that ball can't get to the outfield. That's baseball 101. That led the first one, that bun play. Why are you doing over there? So people ask for Jake to play third base every day, but it's like, is this team better? Maybe offensively, maybe. We don't know. Um, you got Angle going to third base, a ground ball to the pitcher. So these are all things that, I'll be honest, if I'm very surprised. If I was Tony LaRusso, I'd be calling these guys out. He's a Hall of Fame manager. This guy's like, I, I, at some point, he's like, I, you know what? Why did I come back to manage this team? Because the way these guys are playing, they shouldn't even have a manager like me. And that's the part where I think it's very hard because it's like they're not winning and he's trying to back up his team. He does not want to be the guy that's like throws guys under the bus because everyone expected him to be that way. So he's trying to keep everybody positive and everybody kind of like on this. This guy got this guy almost got out of town last year because he told the guy not to swing 3-0. Um, a, a career minor league baseball player named the Germinator who had less than 50 games in the big leagues and everyone in Chicago was trying to get Tony's Hall of Fame credentials taken away and get Austin out of town because he told this guy not to do something. Okay, so what do you think he's going to do if he tells a player, you got to do this, you got to do that publicly? They might, you know, they might be at the gates in, in, in the cell, you know, holding pitchforks, wanting him out. So I think in reality, I think, could he be, do, could he be improving? Yes. Did I expect a different Tony, meaning a guy that was going to hold guys more accountable personally? Yes, but... Maybe the dynamics you usually manage to what your team gives you in the dynamics. And that's why people say, oh, Ozzy would be great for this team. I'm like, he could be, but he might have to adapt to the culture of the players. You know, meaning some guys are not very good with open criticism. Some guys, you know, don't want to get called out because they're not playing. Some guys want to, you know, be able to talk more in private. Ozzy's teams that he had, okay, and that's why he only had public problems with a few guys. All those guys love that type of coaching. They didn't care. They were okay with it. They thought it was funny. I think Tony's had both teams, and this team, it's shaped more because of that. But when I see the Ricky Renteria bring back Ricky, Ricky got fired because he was really bad manager at X's and O's. Has Tony been perfect? I don't think that we would have more games if Larry Garcia was hitting second, ninth, or fourth. Like, if we're worried about what Larry Garcia is hitting – that's like worrying that Ozzy Guillen got a hit when he was in the White Sox hitting ninth. Anything those guys do is extra. There's guys on this team that need to produce that no one wants to call out. Jose Abreu, producing horribly. Rondal, not to what he's been expected. You know, Pantera, Hurt, Eloy, Hurt, Moncada. Again, the, the, there's big-name guys that need to produce, and then they, they nitpick on the little guys that, oh, you know, this person should be doing this. And that's why I think that he gets a, a really heartfelt time on the lineups and, and what they've done. Again, has he had a perfect season? No, but I, do I blame Tony 100%? Absolutely not. 
But I think that, unfortunately, coaches pay for players' mistakes. And I think depending on what happens on this road trip, I, I'm not a big fan of coaches getting fired in the middle of the season. But you, as a player, as a coach, you got to be thinking, like, if we don't start playing good, my, my job's in the hot seat. And that's just our reality of it. I think if Ozzy was a manager and they were playing like this, if they would have – they probably would have taken his passport away and 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 release and asked for his release. Like they would have had him, he would have been so gone out of this place so quick. But again, I think that I think he's an easy, he's a very easy scapegoat. Um, and he hasn't really has fought back at any point. But I think that has he been perfect? No. Do I think that the record is what it is because of him? Maybe, maybe two or three wins, maybe more, but not 10 wins. Yeah. Vinny, thoughts? My friend, and uh, I know you've been not not just you, but we have in general been critical of Tony. Just some thoughts to uh, anything Ozzy had to say. Well, I I agree with everything that Ozzy Gian Jr. just said. I'm very critical of Tony Larusa. I agree that the players are to be two things can be true in my brain. Players can be blamed for not executing, and they could be put in better positions to have a chance to execute better based on what is right with the game of baseball. Okay. For example, he says, junior, you said maybe like four to five more wins, depending if they had like the, if the perfect manager was on this team, maybe they have three, four, maybe five more wins. It's not that much. It's not 10, but if they had four more wins right now, they'd be tied with the Minnesota twins for first place in the AL central division instead of in second. And so I, I ultimately think that the difference between the best manager in baseball and the worst manager in baseball is probably only like 10, 15 games a season. There's no denying that whatsoever. Baseball is a weird game. A guy, could, a random nobody could come out of nowhere. A Jake Berger, who was injured for three years in a row, can come up and be the hero of a game that he's the reason they were down one nothing in. Of course, that, that can always be the case. It's baseball. It's weird. So um, I have a question, though, on yeah. that one. Would you say the word the right manager, the perfect manager? What's the perfect manager – for the Chicago White Sox, okay, without affecting the emotions of the fans, number one, the players, number two, and keeping everyone happy. What is the perfect manager for this team? If it were up to me, I would like somebody, I would like a consistent lineup every single day. When I watch the New York Yankees, when they're fully healthy, when I watch the New York Yankees, I know I'm getting LeMahieu, Rizzo, Judge, Stanton, John Donaldson, one through five every single day. And the White Sox for most of this season have had Anderson, Abreu, Robert, and Grandal available to them. They are so, not then you, so then you don't want an analytical then manager. Uh, you know, you know, I kind of want somebody who's on the middle of both, which I think Tony probably is. Tony's probably a little bit in the middle of both analytical and feel for the game. I just don't think his feel for the game is what it once was. Do you think it was a good idea to leave Johnny Cueto in the game in the seventh inning against the Chicago Cubs on Tuesday. The analytics probably say get that guy out. I think that it, I think, I think in that position. And again, this is why I think I've been more critical of his moves, maybe bullpen wise, because this white Sox bullpen was supposed to be the greatest bullpen ever built by mankind. We can get rid of an hall of fame closer because we're, our bullpen's just so amazing, that we, and you're in the seventh inning. That's a bullpen inning, in my opinion. Okay? I agree. That, that's, I, one that's, of my that's just baseball. That's just with that bullpen. 
I'm going to be honest with you. Somebody told me this, um, and I was very shocked because I had not thought about this. So I'm not going to take credit for it. When Tony La Russa managed in the game of baseball, and we've and I and I heard about and I I was told this because when Ozzy was interviewing for the San Diego Padres position, we were talking to guys in baseball to like kind of feel for some questions that what could they come out from right field on Ozzy, you know, in the in the interviewing process. People talk about rule changes and they, they don't really think about it from an analytical standpoint. So Ozzy was very good at matchups like Tony, meaning righty, lefty. You know, I'm, I'm it's one on one. Like I'm, my moves are just like one move. You make a move, I make a move, and I'm gonna make a move. So in two innings, you might not bring the pinch hitter. That type of strategy, because we actually went through a process and like a like we practiced it, and Ozzy like said that yeah, this is definitely changed, and we would have to make this adapt this way and that way. This new rule change of three batter innings, okay, takes that complete feel away. So. I don't know if those years of him matching up, I think that that has been a learning curve for him where in the past he could be like righty lefty, bring this guy in. Now, sometimes he brings in a pitcher thinking I'm facing for the first batter, but he's not thinking that in the fourth hole, you know, that's not the right move because now you're making an easy matchup on the fourth hole. That part, when that person told me that in baseball, I said, wow, they might have a point there because even though, I hold Tony in a hard regard as a Hall of Famer. That strategy part of managing the three in like three batter rule bullpen guy, that completely changes. And Tony, again, he's been so used to doing things in a certain way. I think mm-hmm. that there's been a, a, a kind of a learning curve for him there. Um, and then sometimes I, you know, again, the Quato move, the only thing I said to my in myself that I thought that he was thinking would say. I want to give Quato the confidence, but then I'm like, Quato's a veteran. Like he, he doesn't need the confidence. Like he's just like, get me out of here on like on, on a high, you know, again. So those types of, those types of moves, sometimes I'm like, ah, why are you doing it? I kind of would like an explanation because again, as a fan, you always want that, but that's my only take worry is that new, that new change in the rule. How is it affecting Tony in general? But that's when your pitching coach is supposed to be like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And so that's basically exactly where I fall to. I just some of the bullpen strategic matchups. I don't love the lineups. To me, it's not what Leary, Leary Garcia does. You're right. If we're worried about what Leary Garcia does, then you're in worse shape than you thought. I'm worried about what Leary Garcia does when he's batting two in a lineup that's supposed to be very, very good. If Leary Garcia, because of injuries, is in the lineup more often than we'd like him to be, that's one thing. But having a guy like Andrew Vaughn bat after him and get significantly less at bats in a game than him. That's, that's just something that's not acceptable in my brain. And I don't like it one bit. Andrew Vaughn has been a top three, four hitter on this team so far this season, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we could debate for hours. I'm not commenting on that. I'm commenting on so far this season, he's deserved to be in the lineup, no matter what righty lefty's nice, but there are some times where it's like, you're so good at hitting you're in the lineup, no matter what side of the plate. I don't like platooning. I don't like platooning. Me either. Adam Angle, he should platoon. You know, there's guys that you can platoon, but you don't platoon platoon Vaughn. Here's the thing. Early in the season, I I was fighting that argument because I really thought that they were considering in trading Vaughn. I really did. Okay. It was out there. I I, I was like, they're not playing him because they don't want to expose him. Okay. Because one of the things that happens when you have a young talent, okay, and you might think that you might want to trade him when you bring him to the big leagues, 
it could either be something amazing or it could really show people what they're looking at from a scouting's point because now you're playing at the big league level. And I thought in my head, I was like, they might be kind of scared of exposing the kid because they might want to move him for bigger pieces and they don't want to lose value in him. But after like month one, literally when Andrew just literally played himself into the lineup every single day, I was like, okay, at this point, you could be like, I don't care what they think because he's shown enough of, of a potential in the big leagues that I don't think guys are going to care. Teams are going to care if he's had a bad week. You know, he's shown that he can actually compete at this level. So at that point, and again, I'm going to say maybe a month into the season, I was like, this guy needs to be playing every day. I don't care where. Again, in the outfield, it's kind of like hard because I'm like, this guy's probably thinking more about how am I going to catch the ball than hitting it, but he needs to be in the lineup every single day. So that part, I thought that they might, might have been protecting him early on and not have complete exposure. But at this point, I think that you need to know what he has to bring right off the bat. And he's been able to come up. And I, I hate seeing Andrew hit in the bottom of the lineup because I just don't see him there. I just think that he's a guy that should get as many at-bats as possible. Um, and, again, he's also part of your future. What do you have in him? Again, you're going to have to make a decision this offseason, which is not going to be an easy one, okay, of handing over the keys to Andrew Vaughn every single day to play first base and maybe make Gavin his backup and not sign a Brave or have a combination of both. So you need to know what Andrew's really all about, and you need to have that many as many at-bats as possible and let him decide for you. And I don't use Andrew Vaughn playing the outfield as a hit against Tony. I've never blamed Tony for Andrew playing the outfield. He's made a couple nice diving catches here and there. He had a really nice one a couple games ago. But for the most part, he's a bad defensive outfielder, right and left. All the defensive metrics suggest that. Yeah, I'm not sure how into analytics you are. I'm kind of 50-50. I think you probably are too. I, I like yeah. to watch he's the game. He's and, a worse outfielder. He's a worse outfielder in, in analytically wise. He's a worse outfielder. Exactly. Exactly. But that to me is not Tony's fault. If I were Tony, I'd play him in the outfield regardless of that too because I want his bat in the lineup every single day. But, you know, Eloy, he sucks in the outfield too. But at least there are times where I've seen Andrew pull up where Eloy might have been able to make so the here's a part. So here's a part where I think all the the emotions came crashing into and like this is why this roster kind of kind of messed it up for everyone. I was okay with Andrew playing in the outfield because I thought this team was going to have so much offense that it was like, hit it to outfield, who cares? Yeah. Like when they, the Cubs used to have Kyle Shorberg out, like who cares? Like hit it to yeah. the outfield. It doesn't matter. We're going to score nine runs on you. But when you start playing now one run games and it's like less than three runs and you're going to be in the ninth inning and it's going to be kind of closer games, defense becomes a huge part of like your, your what you have to do. And then you're like, okay, do I have to have somebody defensively better there? Do I take Andrew out earlier in the game? So that's when defense – I thought Andrew Vaughn could have played outfield because of this offense was going to be so good that, you know, hitting a ball to right field is not going to be a big deal. Today, right. hitting a ball to right field is a huge deal. Agreed. And But to me, that's not Tony's fault. No, that, no. It's just, you just have the roster. That, you just – that's roster how your roster was constructed. And, again, I think yeah. I think the hardest conversation that he might have had to have, and I, I don't blame Tony. It's just a hard one. How do you tell Bray you're going to DH, bro? Yeah, that's fair. You're gonna DH every mm -hmm. day, and you have to be. And this is and this is when team and family and leadership takes a front uh, takes a front step because now you say, yes, the kid can play better. I can help this team better as a DH. 
than as like, clear as a first baseman. So I don't know if they've had that conversation. I know that Abreu does not like DHing. You know, he's always been open about that. So I don't know, but I, it's a hard conversation to have. But one at one point that you might have to, you know, take into consideration. He hasn't been sure asked out offensively at first base either so far this year. Like he's been better lately, but. He's not what like last year. He didn't win the Gold Glove, but there were some moments where, yeah. like, wow. if Andrew Vaughn was really bad at defensively, I could say, you know, if Andrew Vaughn was big hurt, I'd say, okay, you know, because the Braves are really good first baseman. Andrew Vaughn's a very, very good first baseman. Yeah. So, again, making him go there and feel comfortable. And the part that I always find, again, this is not a science, as a way I'm 50 50 in analytics. No, nothing tells me that if you put Andrew Vaughn in his regular position, this guy might be like, okay. I don't have to go to bed every night thinking that I have to catch a fly ball and I can just go smash, you know, maybe his numbers improve even more. And now you got a guy that's really now really focusing on hitting because he's been playing first base his whole life. So he doesn't really have to think about it. That's you know possible. You know what, Junior? What's not great analytically is us seeing Josh Harrison on the mound. And that reminds me a lot of when Adam Dunn was on the mound. And that brings to us the Adam Dunn of the week. You suck. You Suck. Suck. Stupid. Lousy. No excuse. What a dud. What a total, total dud. Yeah, and there were quite a few Adam Dud performances of the week. And, uh, Junior, this is the part of the show where we pick our player that was the biggest uh, guy who pooped the bed the week, someone who didn't have a good week at all. Um, There's a lot of nominees. There's a lot of terrible stats from the week that was. But, uh, Junior, if you had to pick one person for the last week to be the Adam Dud, who you got? Man, I would have to – I'd have to – people are going to be like, he's hurt. I, I, mine would be between John and and Dallas. I have to go with Dallas because he got himself DFA'd. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's unfortunate, okay? Uh, especially when you're someone like, like Dallas – who's an extreme competitive guy. The people want to talk about that. They signed Dallas as like, like they signed Johnny Cueto as his like long shot, you know, like we'll see what we get in him. Whatever he gives us is amazing. That was not the case. Okay. Everyone's giving Rick Khan a big pass on that. Uh, I've looked up people's Twitters. Everyone, when they signed Dallas three years ago, they thought that he was going to bring another side young and that he was going to bring the trophies and pitch complete games in the, in, in the playoffs. And that was not the case. Okay. And that was not the case. Uh, and unfortunately, cause I still think Dallas has a lot to offer. Um, cause I, there was flares of, of how good he could be. And he had some weird games early on, but he has to be the, 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 the Dunn award because when you get DFA'd, especially with how much money he was making. Okay. That is a conversation that has to happen. And here's the part that's funny. For everyone that wants to know and fans that think that Jerry makes all the decisions, it's his team number one. On this decision, I bet those guys had to talk to JR because anytime you're going to release an employee in any team and you're sending them home, okay, this is the part that's funny about baseball because you're sending him home. So Dallas still makes his money, but another team can pick him up. So you're going to be paying someone, okay, that could potentially be beating you later. It's a very serious conversation, not one that is very lightly where a, a general manager sure. goes in the on his own. It's a very deep conversation, um, and I didn't think that it would happen this soon. I knew that the writing was on the wall because I, I know if it kept happening, 
you know, that clause that he had with the, you know, 162 innings. But for me, it would be Dallas. Unfortunately, he got himself DFA'd. Uh, it was just uh, a really bad outing, unfortunately. And and he's had a bad week. Again, I, I have a really funny bet with someone that the worst thing that can happen to the White Sox is that they don't make the playoffs. But that Dallas makes the playoffs as another team and that um, the closer, which you will make the playoffs with the other team. So I just added somebody else. Yeah. So you, I would be really ironic if you see Dallas, you know, in September pitching like meaningful games and the White Sox are out of it. They would be really, really a really hard pill to swallow. Yeah, it would. (laughs) Uh, Vinny, who you got for your uh, Adam Dud of the week? You're, you're on mute, Vinny. Oh, sorry about that. I'm actually looking through some of these like stats right now. From there are a couple guys here who There's a lot of bad guys. There's I mean, five the guys brutal. Brutal. Um, their game against Boston. Yeah, the offense stunk. I believe, and this is where Aussie analytics to me don't tell the story. I believe the air can be taken out of your offense when you go down six nothing before the lineup reaches the fourth hitter of the game. I'm talking that game where Dallas Keiko was pitching and they were losing six nothing before Abreu sure. even came up the bat. I believe the win can be taken out of your sails early in a game, and some the good teams in the league sometimes overcome that. You know, even the White Sox almost overcame it in the Dallas game. The game where Cease laid an egg in the first inning, it was just bad the whole game, and the offense was dead before things started. So I don't think that necessarily helps things. They need the pitching to really step it up, but some of these some of these are just unexcusable. I'm, I'm actually going to take a guy who – there are guys who you need to step up more than others just based on status on the team. You know Tony's going to keep playing them every day no matter what. I'm going with Yasmani Grandal. Yasmani Grandal, one for 14, 0.071 batting average, four walks. Those are nice. He doesn't swing at junk often, but the six strikeouts, no RBIs, one run scored. We need more of that. We need more than that from Yasmani Grandal. He made a nice game, not game saving, but it was a very important catch and foul territory against the Chicago Cubs in extra innings yesterday. I like seeing him play good defense. You know, sometimes Reese McGuire. Proves to be a bit more a bit more valuable on that end of the baseball spectrum here. But you know, if Yasmani Grandal, I feel like if he hits one, this is another thing analytics don't always t- tell the story on. If he hits one, maybe he'll get hot and get going, kind of like he did last year. In a way, he didn't start off this brutally as last year. Uh, people were ripping on the batting average last year and the high walk rate, but the high well, walk at rate. At least last like, year he was getting on base. He's not even not on exactly. base right now. So I believe in Yaz. His track record kind of suggests, but like Junior said, you don't know what a guy did five, six, seven years ago doesn't impact how they're going to be right now. So if Yasmani Grandal is able to turn the corner here over the next couple weeks, got some good pitchers coming up this week. I know we'll touch on that later. Yes, we Uh, do. uh, It's a murderer's row of starting pitchers they're going to be facing for the most part. But if Yas can tag a ball and get feeling good about himself – then I think the offense could really take a swing in a good direction. Um, we'll see how that goes. But as of right now, things are not good for him. So I'll tell you something real quick on that. Uh, 2012? No, 11. Ozzy's last year. Had Adam Dunn hit 40 points higher, Ozzy makes the playoffs. That's how meaningful Definitely. can be in your lineup. And I remember in spring training, Big Dunner said, I only have to hit 75 balls hard 
which meant he had 30-something home run and 50-something triples. You know, made made sense. And when he broke it down like that, it sounded really simple. But sometimes guys, for some reason, you know, our balls are not dropping. I hate when the White Sox broadcast. I hate it when they talk about he's been swinging the ball more in the zone and balls are not just dropping. I hate when they go with that statistics of they're hitting the ball hard. They're just having bad luck. I'm not a fan of that. I've seen flares of him trying to go the other way and his catching has gotten better. But regardless of what people think about guys producing, if it will be very, very hard for the White Sox to make a playoff. Okay. With Jasmani producing the way he is right now, they need Jasmani. That's just the name of the game. They don't need him to be great. They need him to just be like what he was last year, at least. But that's very concerning. When you put these numbers like this, you're like, wow, okay, that's that's uh, that's not as great as you would think. Because, again, he he often – you often think he's doing a little bit better because he's obviously behind the plate. So you kind of see him doing a lot of other things other than hitting. Let me ask you something, though. When you watch him hit, he doesn't look outmatched. There are guys no, who – there no, are no, guys no. who, when they're looks, cold, it's like, what is this guy doing? We no, no, to he looks – everyone – I'll give you an example. Jasmani's on my very short list of guys that I want with a runner on second with no outs, okay, because I know he's going to move the runner over. Runner on third, okay, and I need a sack fly. I have Jasmani on my, on my short list of – if they're up, the Sox will probably – 99% sure score because he is he's that knowledgeable at the plate. He knows what he's doing. He's a professional, he's a professional baseball player. And when he is missing, again, he doesn't look like, oh my God, this guy has no absolute chance. So he on that end, I, I completely agree with you. There's guys on the White Sox, though. Okay. And maybe somebody else has them for the Dunners. This team needs to learn how to move the runner over. Okay. Yeah. Uh Cubs game. T.A. gets on first, okay, which is an amazing thing. Then he steals, okay? If you can't get the runner over first to second, understandable, not that easy because you usually have to bunt. You don't want to give up an out. But if you can move the runner from second to third, okay, and drive him in and get a lead early on, you have a problem. Even if you miss the sack fly, you have to give yourself up as an out to move the runner. And the White Sox suck at it. They're the worst situational hitting team that I've seen in a very, very long time. Just money does not fall. And that's why I don't think they're also dead last in baseball in scoring a runner from second base on a single. They have converted the least amount of times on singles with runners on second. They're like their success rate of a guy scoring is the worst. So this is funny. This has been brutal too. So here's the part where coaching comes in. Okay. Most coaches think that sending a guy home is about speed, okay? And it's not, okay? The White Sox are actually not that slow. The White Sox have had way slower teams. Uh, Paco Nurko looked like a, a snail running, and he could score yeah, from second. five team was slow. <laughs> Again, Carlos Lee, very, very good base runner, not a very fast guy. So when you're analyzing the game, meaning not ball strikes, when you're analyzing the game and saying, okay, looking at value of team, like what are they doing other than like offense and pitching? Very bad base running team. And bad base running is not just not taking the extra base, not stealing a base. It's just something as simple as how good is your lead, okay? The secondary leads on the White Sox are petrified, okay? It's – you can look at it on TV and they're not doing a secondary step, okay, 
They're not reading, you know, the balls the right way in the outfield. Okay. And often when they are sent home, they, they usually don't have a chance, but again, it's not a speed thing. If you get a good secondary, if you get a good read on it, you're going to score more. So those are the little things from a coaching standpoint that you need to improve that are usually not the sexiest thing that you have to get better at that. They're not very good at um, what you see. Other teams are very, you know, you see the Yankees when they came into town, they run the bases so well, you know, you got Stanton, judge. They they're just smooth out there. They're just taking their secondary, you know, going on, on pitches. The Sox are, are, they're very fast, but they're not very good at running the bases, meaning going station to station. They should definitely get better at that because that is one stat that they should not be lasting with the town that they have. No, big, big facts. And, and Gonzo, you know, I know there's some of the guys in this list have had bad base running, but I got to get your Adam Dutt of the week. Um, mine is actually one of my favorite players, and that's Johan Mankata. Um, when you need a left-handed bat in the lineup, even have a power bat, but I mean, I love his defensively, but when we paid you the contract that he got, I need more than defense. I need that bat alive, especially when you're bottom of the barrel in the offense and a left, especially left-handed bat in the middle of your lineup. And I love to see him in the three spot, but he needs to produce. And when you surround him with either Robert or Jose, you know, in front or behind him or Vaughn, wherever he's at behind him or not. But if you got those guys ahead of you or behind you, they have to pitch to you and you need what the talent he has. He needs to start producing. I mean, yeah, I it just makes me wonder. It makes me wonder how hurt he is because he's clearly not anywhere near a hundred percent. So if you're hurt, if you're hurt, I get, the I get what they should you know, put him. I think they should. It's hard because like that first week he was back, he only played a handful of games. Right. Well, baby, they've been babying him. Yeah. They've been babying him. But at some point you need to, he needs to start producing. I think so, it's in him. And it, it, what sucks is last year with all the injuries, we didn't have our core. So I can understand why his power numbers were down. Cause he, no guys were pitching to him cause they can pitch around him with how limited the lineup was for the majority of the season last year. Again, that's probably the same issue again this year. I would love to see a healthy lineup with him in it, but it, and at the end of the day, you got to just stop with excuses and start producing. Why are, why are White Sox fans so obsessed with the home runs from the third baseman? The only reason he was the number really, one overall prospect for the like only, two years. The only, by the way, the Moncada came on a trade where they had Devers, and everybody knew that there's two things that the Boston Red Sox had red flags on him. Power, and can he stay healthy? I knew that. And I'm an average Joe. I'm not a front office guy. They should have known that. Like everyone in baseball knew those are the two red flags. Everyone's obsessed and they think that Moncada, if Moncada hit 35 home runs and hit 120, White Sox fans would change Michigan Avenue to Moncada Avenue. Okay. <laughs> they think Joe Creedy was a power hitter. They think Ron Ventura was a power hitter. They were not power hitters. Frank Thomas was a power hitter. Albert Bell was a power hitter. Paul Konerk was a power hitter. Jim Tomey's a power hitter. If John Moncada, the only reason that I had him, that's my boy, the only reason that I almost had him for the done of the week is because even if you're not hitting home runs, okay, even if you're not going deep, you should not be hitting 160 when you hit from both sides of the plate and you are, have the ability that he is able to have, meaning the other day he bunted a ball for a double, okay? You have things in your arsenal that should help you improve 
have better at-bats, take more walks, put the ball in play that can give you a better chance of producing better because you're not a power hitter. And obviously when he starts getting hot, he will hit balls out. You know, the ball flies in Chicago at one point or whatnot. But I think that his uh, hitting ability skills, I don't know if it's gotten in his head that he wants to hit a home run so much. He is literally becoming, and this is very scary to say, Cesar Hernandez, okay? If you saw Cesar play four years ago, you're like, this guy is like Randy uh, Aranis. He's just hitting hits everywhere. Just spraying the field, gap-to-gap guy. All of a sudden, he had one year where he had, I think, almost 20 home runs. And the next year, he came out and is the same guy that's actually playing right now for the Nationals and who the White Sox had last year. Swinging for the fences, and his batting average dropped so bad that he just became a horrible offensive player. So he needs to be able to – guys, Ozzie Guillen hit 270 in the big leagues. My father hit 270 in the big leagues, and he thought he was a horrible yep. hitter, and he never walked. So the fact that you're seeing these guys with this talent at, like, 190 is very concerning because you're like, you can't even hit 250? And that's yep. the part where I have Moncada on. If Moncada hit 330 and hit 10 home runs, people would be like, okay, like, it's it's, it's getting to the point now that it's home run or nothing, and it's really affecting his numbers. And now the fact that people – the fact that Moncada – he should go home every day. And I tell him like the fact that they're considering with his talent to play Jake Merger every day over him at third base is mind blowing because if you're a baseball guy, but those guys have to start considering because if Berger goes and hits, you know, he keeps hitting home runs at one point, you're like, okay, well, do we keep Berger and try to trade him? Like the, the, the fact that, that that thought is even in people's heads, you've gotten them to that point of making that thought, which is not a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I want to say one thing on Mankata really quick. Go ahead. Junior, we joke with each other a little bit. I think a couple weeks ago we had a little thing about Mankata, and I was like, dude, do you even read my tweets when you were like about Mankata? I got to check your tweets to make sure you're allowed to cheer for him. You know I'm a Mankata guy just as much as you, and I don't understand where this thing about him being soft comes from. I got some stats for you. Okay, I like stats. Since 2018, White Sox leader in games played, Abreu, number two, Mankata. Since 2019, Leaders in games played, one, Abreu, two, Mankata. Since 2020, one, Abreu, two, Mankata. Since 2021, one, Abreu, two, Tim, three, Mankata. Two less games than Tim will pass him this week. I'm just saying, if you think Mankata's soft and you are just always complaining about this guy being soft, not into it, what the hell are you talking about? I'll t- Vinny, Vinny, Vinny so I'll tell you much. why. Vinny, I'll tell you why. And I've told him this. I'll tell you why. Exactly, I'll tell you why. White Sox fans hate, number one, that Moncada is extremely hot. Okay? He is better looking than 99.9% of all White Sox fans. <laughs> not me and you, though. Not me. Maybe, maybe not us, because we got confidence. He's extremely <laughs> hot. White Sox fans right off the bat on that one are like, we don't like him. Okay? Perfectly beard, you know, Moncada does not have to, does not have to slide into second base, okay, because he needs to sell, okay, and get his uniform ready. I told him, I said, Moncada, just slide on second, just, just, just make it look hard, like dive, roll around the ground, and like make a turn. And White Sox fans will be like, oh my god, look at him, he's playing so hard. He's put fans, Chicago White Sox fans love a try hard. A guy that rolls on the ground and he's like, oh, like Moncada, get this, get a hit and go like this, you know, shake, do like a, a lasso, get on the media and say something. 
White Sox fans love that. Get on the media and say, no, get on the media and say, oh, I don't like the Cubs colors. I went to Wrigleyville and they serve bad beer. Oh my God, we love Moncada. Moncada minds his own business. <laughs> I would okay. Like I'm just saying though, Moncada minds his own business, goes up to shows up to work every day, and he's put in the lineup when they have to do, and they hit him second, they hit him last, they hit him third, and he plays. He gets moved from second to third. He produces, he makes it look easy, he's hot, he's just playing his game. Just because he's not a try-hard, okay, doesn't mean that he's not trying. But when you go like what exactly what you did, Vinny. Because stat guys that love stats, they look at all the numbers except when they count. Why? Because Moncada does not take games off in doubleheaders, okay, because they play him. Because I bet they don't ask him and say, hey, do you want to play one or two? They just go and play him, okay, because he doesn't have that luxury, I don't think. You know, he's not at that level of, like, they're asking Moncada, what are you thinking, okay? So people always talk about guys playing hard or being soft. Between him and Larry, okay, and Abreu, the last couple years, I'm like, soft, go talk to Pantera and Eloy. Eloy quit in yeah. Oakland in a playoff game. I'm, oh, come here. Ricky came out. Oh, you okay, Monk? Are you okay, Eloy? Can you run? Uh-uh, I can't run. I'm like, you can't run anyways. We need you in the lineup. So people are talking about soft. You can say Moncada can't hit for power. You don't like the guy. You can say anything you want. But, Vinny, you're right about that. This whole soft thing, it, it's 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 not. And then people are like, oh, the form. I'm like, it's not even the COVID thing. Literally, the guy had a freak injury. Why? He was fine. Last day of spring training, in one of his workouts, he messed up his oblique. Maybe he overworked out. Maybe he wanted to play more games. But again, he has not been healthy, meaning from a standpoint. If John Moncada came out and said that he was suffering from mental problems, that he was so stressed out because he is injured, and he would wish that the White Sox fans took some mercy in him, they would be like, oh, my God, John Moncada, you're so special. They'll probably run a special on him. You know, they'll do this whole thing, and people will be like, they'll, they'll do a vigil for him. And, oh, my God, John Moncada, we feel so bad. But he's not that guy. And do White Sox no. fans think that he should become that guy and fake it? No. He, can You can tell that he's out there. And people are like, if he can pinch hit, he can play. I'm like, do you guys know if even if he wanted to pinch hit? He looked like he didn't even want to be there the, the, the other day when he went to pinch hit. Just because he pinch yeah. hit you doesn't mean that you're like, you're like, I'm hurt. Well, I have no chance against this guy. He grimaced when he swung. I mean, he's That's clearly I mean. not. He yeah, also, he's, he's clearly not. He ready. also took in that bat that you could say he didn't do anything because David Robertson threw a wild pitch, but he took in that bat that allowed a run to score. At Correct. the end of the day, a run scored because he worked a count enough to allow a wild pitch to get past the catcher and a and runner was on third. And here's the part, okay? Right now, Berger, Sheets, McGuire, even Andrew, we all think that they're everyday big league players. Sometimes guys in the big leagues, it's not even about producing. It's the fact that they have to stay in and play so many games. Okay. Play 150. You play 130. Now you're special. So Moncada on the yeah. soft, when you've played that many games, like Jose Abreu, you can say anything you want about Jose Abreu. I think he might be too tough. This guy's out there, double headers, you know, Sunday night game. He's like, I'm playing like he'll play. He does not care. He's just like, I'm out there dying. But I'm doing – and he plays hard every day. So the word soft, meaning when you're talking about games played, people need to really look at the stats. And like you said, Vinny, look at the numbers of guys that have been there year in and year out. Yeah, maybe he's not clutch. That's fine. You can argue that. But soft is not the right word for him being able to play yeah. or him staying out of injuries or whatnot. That's just the wrong definition for him. Totally agreed. Appreciate it, Junior. 
And uh, real quick, I'm going to get into my Adam Dud, and we'll, we'll move into the – put it on the board after that. But I'm going to pick a guy for my Adam Dud. Um, he's, a, he's a veteran player that, they, that the White Sox acquired, that they look for him to be uh, a guy that's really going to produce. And he's certainly not doing that this week. A.J. Pollock with a brutal week at the plate, one for 17, uh, 59 batting average, struck out four times, zero ribbies, but he still managed to score three runs. Guys, A.J. Pollock, um, he had a good week the week before, but this week he's just not getting it done. He had some of the worst at-bats that I've seen on this team this week, and there's two other guys that had bad bad at-bats, which I'll talk about briefly. But what did you guys see out of A.J. Pollock this week? Because I I know for sure, for me, he looks kind of lost at the plate, especially this week. Um, Feel free to jump in. Junior, did you see anything out of Pollock that has you concerned? You know what? My concern was that the Dodgers wanted to get rid of him, the best team in baseball. You're going up for a World Series, and you're like, oh, I want to give up this amazing producer. That was my biggest concern. Again, I think that when you're looking at a right field production, I think that everyone just wanted a name, okay? But, again, I think this is a guy that he's going to be average, and I'm not expecting him to hit 30, 40 home runs. Um, I was surprised that he went back to, like, digressed because he really had, the, like, a two-week run where he looked really, really good. And I think yeah, that he, did. he might he might be one of these streaky guys. Like again, I don't I didn't watch enough Dodger baseball that I don't I haven't really looked at his numbers of like if he's one of those guys that gets really hot for two weeks and then like extremely cold for another two weeks and you can still hit two ninety and hit twenty five home runs. Just depends on how you put it together. But I don't know if he's that type of guy. But he looked he's looked amazing at the plate. Okay, and then he's looked completely lost. So I would I have it on as maybe he ran into some good pitching. Um, Maybe he wasn't just feeling it that week, but again, he's been a guy that I think that they need him to at least produce at average because you can't have, you know, 17 at bats with one hit from a guy that you expect to start every day um, in one of your main positions. Because again, if you don't, if that guy's not producing, that's, that's when Tony has to go in and say, okay, do I go with cheats? Do I go with angle? Do I do a glary, you know, in the outfield? And that's when you start. If Pollock was hitting 330, you know, having a really good kind of year consistently, he'd be every day playing in one position. So, again, it, it opens up to this who's going to play, you know, kind of the game. But I think that I've given him a little bit. I, he's one of the guys that I have on, like, the list of I can't judge him right off the bat because I think that he's going to be able to figure it out because he's done it before. You look at his numbers. And the one thing that I'm surprised about him, which I thought was going to be his catalyst, He's an injury-prone maniac. He's always been injury, has an injury history. Yeah, hamstrings, always. He's been, he's actually been able to stay on the field uh, quite often for the White Sox, which, again, is a positive. But I I, want to give him a little bit more of time before I lay the hammer. But obviously not a very good week. But I think that, you know, next week, two weeks ago, he was killing it. So hopefully he jumps back to that. And, you know, we'll see what time. Yeah, for sure. And uh, honorable mentions here for terrible weeks, Josh Harrison, Brutal week, uh, just looks completely lost at the plate. Um, had some of the worst at bats I think I've ever seen in my life. I'm not even just joking. That last at bat against the Cubs, um, you know what I'm talking that's about, what, Vinny. His, yeah, and that's what we were saying about Grandal. Like Grandal, he doesn't look overmatched. Like when he's out, he's out. He flies out. He hits it deep. He, you know, if there's a runner on third with less than two outs, you're confident that the guy's going to score because he has money, smart enough, and talented enough to put together a good enough at bat to get that guy home. He's not hitting it to Pluto like he did consistently last season, but 
Harrison, Leary Garcia, oftentimes Gavin Cheats so far this season, who I think you were probably going to bring up next. Um, those guys, some of their at-bats, when when they're looking good, they're looking good. Cheats and Pollock especially had a stretch there where they were like looking kind of good at the plate, and you were like, all right. But then when they're cold, they look overmatched. I don't feel that way about Grandal, but I do feel that way about those guys. It's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, definitely, definitely a tough week across the board for some of these guys. So here's the difference with Harrison. When Gavin Sheets, you look at him as a, a a future star. So when he struggles, you say you're adapting. You're you know you're, he's finding his way. Josh Harrison does not have time to be adapting or finding his way. Mm-hmm. Another fan favorite because he looks fun in a uniform, and when he scores, he looks fun, and he you know does a lot of hand clapping and just looks really cool on the field. But that doesn't produce. And he's one of the guys that, especially with Tim going down up the middle, you need him to kind of step it up and be the everyday second baseman because that's why he got brought here. Because if he wasn't brought here to play everyday second base, when he doesn't play shortstop, then why did you bring him? Because you have Moncada, you have Berger, and you have Larry. So unless Josh is everyday second baseman, you know, so – Again, I think that from a production standpoint, he's going to be a guy that if if I was his agent and I was like around him, it's like you need to start producing because even though he is making what four six million dollars, with the yeah. pressure that they got from the kid in the minor leagues, with production needing to come from somewhere, you start getting in that list of they're not going to DFA Gavin Sheets, they're going to DFA the veteran guy. So that's where you start, you know, you start getting into murky waters, and hopefully it doesn't affect them mentally because again, this is like you and I in our regular jobs, you know, if you think you're going to get fired, you know, you start my pressing a little bit more, you might, you know, you might start mm-hmm. overthinking it. And then hopefully he doesn't do that. But those are conversations that you start. They just let somebody go that was making 18. You're like, I'm not even making that. So hopefully he kind of picks it up because again, he's a guy that I thought would get a lot of at bats. And again, he's one of those guys that does not look match, but sometimes like, I'm like, he should just be hitting ninth and having the best chance possible to get, you know, getting better at bats but if you put him at second <laughs> good luck you know yeah. he's, he's yeah. going to be second hitting you're hitting second it's going to be a little bit tougher for you than the type of pitches you see and whatnot so i think that for him obviously it's going to be time will tell but if he does not produce i think that he might be just because he doesn't play shortstop as well he might be the odd man out yeah no i could see that as well brutal brutal weeks a lot of duds on the team this week guys but on the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, there's a handful of guys that had great weeks, and it's time for our Put It on the Board Player of the Week segment. Ball hit deep. Way back. He looks up. You can put it on the board. Yes. All right, so it'll be refreshing to talk about some good offensive performances. There weren't that many, but there were enough. Uh, this could also be a pitcher as well, so – Feel free to, to jump in with that. But, uh, Vinny, I'll let you lead things off for the put-it-on-the-board player of the week. Who are you going with? As of right now, the best pitcher on the White Sox is Lucas Giolito. I believe in Michael Kopech's potential. I believe he can be an extremely well-paid pitcher one day. I love his talent, but he's on an innings limit. You can't call a guy who – is getting starts skipped to make sure that he's good the next time he pitches. You can't call that guy an ace. 
no matter what the stats are. I, I can't call that guy an ace. Um, Dylan Cease, all the talent in the world. He misses bats as well as any pitcher on the Chicago White Sox right now. Outside of the Cubs game, really nice bounce back against the Cubs. The ERA starting to climb a little bit. He's not as dominant as he was early in the season. Uh, to me right now, he's like their number two. Okay. And I think he can be an ace. And when I think he reaches that ace level and Kopech stops, you know, being on an innings limit, whatever, the White Sox could be four really, really A tier pitchers deep. And then, of course, Lance Lynn, Ozzy Jr. brought up his stats from last year. First half of the year, he had an ERA of 1.99. Second half of the year, it was in the mid threes, which isn't bad, but it's also not good. You put that together, you have a two point whatever ERA on the season, top three Cy Young nominee. Okay, make him your four right now for me. Giolito's that guy. You know when he's going out there, you're getting a solid pitching performance. Even when he does give up four walks like he did in this most recent game, uh, six innings pitched, one run against. He did give up the five hits, so nine base runners. He still only let up one run. That to me is a guy who even on his worst day, he's able to figure it out, and that, that to me is an ace pitcher. And I know MLB you know, has like a definition of an ace pitcher about being one Run, one full run short of the league average ERA. Giolito, Kopech, Cease, Lynn, all those guys can fit in that mold at any given point. But as of right now, if I if I need a win, if I need to stop the bleeding for something, even on his worst starts, it's Giolito for me, and he proved it this week. Nine base runners. That's a lot to only give up one run. So Giolito's my guy hey. for the week. I love it. If you had to pick somebody – Junior, who, who are you picking for your putter on the board player of the week? Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto. If Johnny Cueto doesn't pitch the way that he does, I don't think they release Dallas Keuchel. Johnny Cueto put everybody on check. Six inning plus every time he came out. I think he gets uh, – his ERA would be lower. Had, had he even pulled out, you know, not coming out for that other inning. He's pitched great. Came out, done his thing, his little shimmy. Uh, looked very, very good. And it looks like a guy that could give you a little bit more than a fifth starter. And – I think that him coming in was a big eye opener of, of a veteran presence and, and really put some pressure on some guys, but he looked really, really good. And again, a guy with experience pitched in big games, but he looked solid. His velocity was up. His balls were moving very different. I love, I like Cueto because he's not a, he's not a super slow thrower. i um, meaning like, but he's not like a power pitcher. So in his kind of like quirky delivery kind of makes it a little bit different in like what rotation looks like. So he he's picked perfectly until the moment until now, I think that he's, his two starts have been just awesome. And, there. He, and he runs this, he runs the upper deck too at that guaranteed rate. I don't know if you guys saw that on TV. Those are some <laughs> steep stairs, man. If you trip and fall, you're not going to feel very good. Not very good. I have a question for you, junior about uh, Johnny Cueto. Cause you've obviously seen some ins and outs of, you know, major league organizations a little more than me. Um, Cueto, I know the White Sox at the time of signing Cueto were probably perceived as a top 10 team in baseball. They're probably more in like the 15 to 20 range right now, but at the time they were probably considered a top 10 team when he signed. Is that the reason he chose the White Sox? Like how were not more teams involved in on? No, I, th I, I think that is a more thing about spots. Maybe it would have been the money. You know, I think that a lot of people might've given in on Cueto. Okay. Um, Cueto has one thing that I think that, um, his whole life, I think that he's been uh, never, never been a doubt. He's a very hard worker, meaning physically. 
even though he doesn't look like he's a, a model, a body model, he works really hard and he's been able to stay healthy and throw. I don't know why he picked the White Sox, to be honest. I definitely know the White Sox were not the only team in the mix. Um, I think that he thought in his head, okay, the way the rotation was shaping up with Kopech not knowing how many innings he can throw and other kind of setup, I think that he thought he could have a really good chance of coming to the White Sox and, and pitching here, not only for a contender, but uh, being able to like fit and, and win a spot. And, and, you know, guys like Cueto, again, when you probably, you probably looked at the offense, he's like, I could definitely pitch here. You know, I give up four runs. I definitely have a chance to win. Again, that's how the offense was originally constructed. So that maybe all those things got taken into consideration, other than the fact a lot of guys like the city of Chicago. But I, I definitely – I would hope that other contenders were in the mix for him because the way that he's looked, unless he was really horrible in his tryouts and previous pitching, he looks really, really good. And that's something that all the guys that have been – I don't know who who's, who's in charge technically of like the AAA kind of minor league guys they've brought up. Every single guy they've brought up – fundamentally it looks has looked very sound um even guys that you know are veterans guys that have been coming up through the pipe you know kind of working out down there they they looked really good and and Cueto looks like he's back and obviously he needs to stay the way that he's pitching because they made a huge bet on him you know they let Dallas go and they're really yeah. counting on him now because we let Dallas go and this is your shot now so I think there's a I'm sure he can handle it he's pitched in way crazier races than this but I really think that those those starts is that really impressive. Not only the starts, when you look at the numbers in, in AAA, they've been they've been they've been that that decision was not made on just the big league starts. He's been throwing the ball really well for a while. Yeah, no, that's he's definitely been a shot in the arm that the the team could use right now, and he's he's been one of those guys. We got to hope he can keep it up. Uh, Gonzo, who do you got for your putter on the board player of the week? My put it on the board player of the week is going to be Jake Berger, um, friend of the show. And uh, he's a guy that, although I was so upset that he tried to backhand that ball on a opportunity that C. Scott, what he wanted was a ground ball there, and Berger had to backhand it. But he made up for it at the dish and won at the walk-off yesterday. Um, and just with all of his at-bats during the week, with that power that he showed, um, I'm glad that we brought him up and he's taken that opportunity. He's seizing the opportunity here. And uh, for a guy that was drafted as a positional player in our organization, which we're not really good at developing positional players, um, but I'm glad that the very few that we've drafted are starting to develop and both Vaughn and Berger. And I'm really hoping he's here to stay and hopefully staying or hopefully playing every day at uh, second base. Yeah, and I'll use this moment to to do a brief plug Jake will be on the show at some point in July around the All-Star break. We're, we're hammering out the date, but uh, Jake is confirmed to want to be on with us. So uh, that'll be hopefully – hopefully he'll still be on the team at that point. I uh, I don't see any reason we would have to send him back down, but I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, but big week out of Jake. Hopefully he continues it, works on his defense a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, our buddy Pito. Uh, finally turned things around big time. Had a big week, uh, 4-12. Three ribbies, three runs, one homer. Uh, this is what we want to see out of Jose, starting to get hot. Usually going into June, June first couple of weeks of June, Pito really turns it on. Uh, we could really use it, especially going up against the Jays and then the, the Rays. Uh, looking for Pito to continue to keep that going. Uh, it's encouraging. I mean, obviously he's had a slow start, but, you know, 
the Peter we know and love is is still there. He's coming back. Um, I think it's going to be a nice week for him. So hopefully that continues. Uh, Junior, I know we talked about the slow start for Pito, but do you, do you think that turnaround's coming? I you can't bet against him. His numbers have been there forever, and maybe if they're not thirty and a hundred, if they're in the vicinity of it, Pito's playing himself. He's trying to keep himself on the team, and if he loves the White Sox and he wants to be here for the long term, he's got to show that he might be a future DH, you know, and and produce. Um, he's also playing. I don't think he'll retire, but he's also playing for another contract, you know, especially at his age. So there's a lot of things on the line for him. But I, I think that when you see a guy like him and he starts getting hot it's not unrealistic that he's going to go off and, you know, hit 10 in a month. You know what I mean? Like it's not, he's done it before. So it's not like, Oh my God, who is this guy? It's like, Oh, okay. He just got hot. You know, he's found his groove. His at bats have been a lot better um, lately. Uh, meaning he's looked a lot stronger, but again, you can, his, his, he's always had a slow start. You got to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's the way that he's produced his whole life. And he's, he's playing for a lot. And, you know, with going to burger on the one, I did not want Berger at second base, okay? I thought it was a horrible idea in the beginning because I thought Leori at the time might be considered the everyday second baseman or give somebody else another chance, and the offense would kind of carry, and it was more about let's catch the ball enough to, you know, we won't need a big bat at second. I don't see Josh. Josh Harrison is not Roberto Alomar, okay? Not I mean, like, close. he's not – I'm saying, like, he's, like, not – he's a good second baseman. Second base with the shifts, the more I look at it, it's like other than the double play, which unless you're playing straight up, I definitely think you can get away with Jake Berger playing like deep outfield if he's going to – if his numbers keep producing. You know, you have to start considering it because at one you point do. you might have up defense. And, again, you're going to be playing four guys out of a position. And is that ideal? No. But is it something that you might have to start considering? Because I really think that for him, I think that there's not a lot of much that he can do at AAA at this point. He's at the big league level of development. And again, Abreu, like him, again, you want to keep the guys that are hot with their bats. And if Abreu comes around and he gets hot, it'll be one less headache for Tony because Tony will know where to pencil him in and not have to worry about, you know, Abreu can hit third in this team. He's done it before. You know, he might be the third hitter for a while, especially when people come back because now you might have to drop somebody for TA. Um, so him coming back and producing will definitely be a huge help. Yeah, it certainly will. <laughs> gotta keep, gotta keep, keep on chugging there. And before we end this segment, we usually do our picks to click for the upcoming week. Uh, last week, Zim picked Jose Abreu. He couldn't be here with us today, but he gets to go first in the pick to click selection, and he is going to go with Jake Berger for the week. So uh, I'll go ahead and put that down for him. Uh, Junior, if you had to pick somebody for the week coming up, who do you think is going to be your pick to click for the week? You know what? My pick to click for the week. Mm, let me see. I'm going to take Rondal. I think Rondal might get a little hot. I think he's going he's to come back. He's going to have a good series in Toronto. I think that he'll – I think Toronto will do him well. Love it. Love it. Uh, how about you, Vinny? Who are you going with? I'm going to take Michael Kopech. I don't always take pitchers that are only going to get one start, but I, he's going to go against the Toronto Blue Jays, and the pitcher on the other side is going to be Hunjin Ryu. 
and he's a lefty with a, a little bit higher of an ERA than the rest of the Blue Jay starters that the White Sox are going to see this year. And that could be a game where the offense actually finds themselves having a good game. Even this year, when their offense has been brutal, they have hit lefties rather well. And, you know, if lefties were more dominant than righties, we would have a lot more wins, I would say. But, you know, I'm going to take Kopech going up against Ryu. I, I like that matchup for him. Um, we've seen him be able to pitch really well against good hitters. I mean, his last two starts have come against the New York Yankees, who might have the best offensive lineup when healthy in the American League. Right there with them, though, is the Toronto Blue Jays. So I'm trusting for my pick-to-click pick that he could go out there and do some damage against this really nice Toronto lineup. I'm also making this pick just because I kind of hope to see it. You know, I want to see Kopech go out there and have a third straight great start against a really good offense. It's one thing to shut down Kansas City's lineup. It's one thing to shut down Detroit's lineup. He did it against the Yankees twice. There was the one bad inning in the first Yankee game, but for the most part, he had 12 really good innings against the New York Yankees. And I'd like to see it for the Toronto Blue Jays series. So I'm going with Mr. Michael Kopech. Love the pick, Vin. Gonzo, real quick, who you got for your pick to click? Mm, um, part of me wants to go with Pito, but I'm going to go with the uh, Andrew Von Ray Club um, and let go with the Young Buck this week, going against likely two lefties in Ryu and um, Yarba. So, yep, I'm going with the Von Club. There you go. I love it. I'm going to go with the hot hand. I'm going to go with Jose Brave. I feel like he's going to keep that rolling. So recap real quick. I'm going with Jose, Gonzo Vaughn. Zim's going with Jake Berger. I spelled Berger wrong. And Vinny's going with Michael Kopech. And Junior's going to go with Grandal. So we will see how the rest of the so week goes. The, the most the most important thing, we should one of us should have picked Tony. We need The White Sox needs to come back from that road trip at 500. Yes, they do. People are worried about people are thinking like, oh, we need to come back. Like if they come 500, it would be like, wow, that was great. We're still in the hunt. I think yeah. there's no shot he gets fired. I don't know if you're going to get fired. No, I'm just saying like, I'm just saying, I don't think he gets fired. I think he either would step down, which I don't know, but I don't think he gets fired. But I'm saying this, this coming month, especially with Tim Anderson hurt, if you're still able to keep the, the, the twins at a five game range and not lose any ground on them, it's actually a victory. And you make up for it when you play them head to head, but you cannot. This is this could be a very scary road trip with some really good teams that you're going up against. It is, yeah, sure. And 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 Junior, I know we got got to get you out of here, but before you go, one last question for you. Uh, we 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 brought this question up last week, and I want to pose it to you. Uh, we so the question was: Is that by the end of June, will the White Sox be in first place? Uh, we pointed to the schedule that is, and uh, it's pretty brutal. But piggybacking off that, by the end of July, when they have a lot of division games, will this team be in first place? And I know Tim Anderson's a big part of that question. The Minnesota Twins are 15 and f- fifteen and 6 now against the division, I believe. The White Sox are playing horrible against their division. Okay? In order for you to win the division, you have to play really well against your division. It's going to fall down to one thing, head-to-head versus the Twins to make up that ground. I think two things need to happen. I think the Twins need to start kind of stop playing as well as they're playing, okay, and kind of come down to reality and hit kind of like a stretch where they become normal. 
and the White Sox need to be able to survive against the really good teams. And then these series that they have in July where you get weaker division teams, they need to take two out of threes and sweep those series. You cannot be going one and three, you know, uh, versus the Kent Royals or, you know, one and two versus the Tigers. That's unacceptable. If that happens, they're not going to win the division. Um, you know, if I kept saying this, if Ozzy was the manager, I would have not lost hope yet with the team. Um, and I can't do that now because there's there's still a lot of baseball to be played. But they need to be realistic. They need to be able to go out there and produce at a level where you're not only worrying about the division, you need to worry about winning as many games as possible because the way that the format of the playoffs is this year is that the first three teams are in for the division winners. So if you don't get the division, you need to try to get one of those other seeds. That's why the other teams are playing, like, even though they're eight games out, in some of some of some situations like the American League East, they're trying to win as many games as possible because they know that's the only way that they're going to be able to get in. I don't think the White Sox fans have realized that yet. They really still think that it's the division or nothing. And it's like, yes, but no. You could still play really good baseball because if you play really good baseball and you win a bunch of games in a row, you don't have to worry about what the Twins do. Twins can go on and win 99 games, but if you go on and win 93 games, you get in because you're one of the other better records that's you got in and then who cares who you're facing you're in the playoffs anything can happen what you don't want is to not try to win games because you're only worried about losing or winning when the twins lose and you you know you miss it by one game behind the twins because you're both like 83 and you know 85 and 83 that's what you don't want so you need to try to win as many games as possible especially against your division because at this point the wins and the losses start adding up and those wins are starting to count a little bit more in that bigger number. Like you look at the, I look at the, everyone now posts when your team wins 30, it's like a thing now. And everyone in the American league, I feel it's like we hit 30, like the Yankees did it. And like, you start seeing teams do it and you're like, Oh my God, like there's as many teams with 30 wins. Like, and you look at the size and you're like, Oh my God, like you start saying, okay, they need to start speeding up the, the number of games. One that's the, the, that's what I think. And that's why this series versus the Cubs was so big. Had they been swept by the Cubs, that would have not been good because the, the, there was no – in no vicinity should the Cubs be anywhere near competition-wise with the White Sox right now, the way that their team is constructed. It's just – Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's not even a question. So that game where they possibly could have lost and, you know, they were going into extra innings, I was like, they cannot lose this game because you get whipped by Boston. You get whipped by the Yankees. They're in the same run as you. You know, they're at that same level. And it's like, okay, cool. Like you got, you get beat by those teams. You're like, that's, you can't lose those. And those are the ones that hurt you at the end, kind of like those spoilers, but I was glad that they pulled it off. And that's what you gotta, that's what you gotta go in and, and, and focus on and say, f- play 500 against the really good teams and get the ones that we can get out of them. And then whoop on everybody that is not as good as us. Yeah. Hopefully that's, that's there's some ground team. to make up too. Correa is going to hit the COVID list tomorrow. And they've only played 40% of their games with both Buxton and Correa in the line at the same time. So the Minnesota Twins are not perfect. They're not. They're not perfect. And again, this is a situation when you go back and you look at the realistic of like production and numbers and and whatnot. And you have to say, okay, we need to play really good baseball in order to compete here. Because again, it's not just about winning the division. It's like, how are you going to win it? How many games are you going to win? Again, preparing yourself to get that momentum and going in tough. I I feel like the White Sox care more about preseason rankings than they do now. Yeah. <laughs> uh junior we, we can't thank you enough for all the time you gave thank us you tonight 
Uh, before you get out of here, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the Gian's baseball channel or anything you got coming up? Hey, guys, check out obviously Ozzy's seniors on the pre and post game show. Keep enjoying him. He'll keep bringing it as honest as possible, as always. Always loves the support from the fans. And then everything that we talk about baseball wise in Spanish and in English now lives in a YouTube channel called Gian's Baseball. Um, we have daily hits, we pick parlays, we talk current event stuff from a baseball standpoint, we break down the White Sox. Um, just talk baseball in general, and um, that's where we have all our stuff living. So Gian's baseball, I always tell people this. If you're going to go there, don't take it personal. We're being objective. It's always baseball, never personal. So if you're going to come there and, you know, get your feelings hurt, I, I'm like, don't turn on the channel. If you want to hear true, honest baseball talk and talk being constructive and delivery on, on execution and things that are happening and, you know, talk about like when they win the right way, when they lose the right, you know, the right way and losing the wrong way, that's a spot to be at. So Gian's baseball, check it out. I love it. And awesome. Make sure you let Vinny Parisi or any of the South Burb hitmen be the one to break when Ozzie Gian senior finally gets that job as a major league. Baseball oh, I will manager. for sure. You know what? We were talking <laughs> about this. It's, it's so funny because there's such, so Ozzie, I'll take five minutes. Why Ozzie, when Ozzie came, into the White Sox, okay? Most people don't put two and two together. We owe a lot to Jerry Manuel, okay? Because Jerry Manuel developed a lot of really good players. Like when 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 we got, when the White Sox, when Ozzy took over, Mark Burley was a, uh, on his way to being the guy that he was. John Garland was, you know, we he, they had done a really good job. And for some reason, they couldn't take the, the step. There's a lot of core players that, when Ozzy came over, they were really, really solid baseball players. They just needed like that other step. And Ozzy came in, I don't know why, with zero expectations. Okay. They never were like, you need to win the World Series or you need to win the division. Like nothing. Ozzy got the job and it was like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, you're the manager. You used to play here and good luck. 04, Ozzy thought he could have won it. Guys get hurt. 05, no pressure whatsoever. Like, I don't even, they're like ranked like fourth. They go on and win. 06, people are like, okay, the World Series was cute, but they're not really good. They go on and win like 90-something games. Ozzy didn't really start getting like crazy pressure to like after 2007. Like people were like, we want the World Series now, and it got kind of crazy. So when people talk about like if Ozzy came to manage this team, like the, the expectations of the fans, and when we talk about roster construction and, and players that they wanted, at the time, again, everything Ozzy wanted for 90% of the time, Jerry, Kenny and Jerry delivered. We kind of want this player to deliver. I don't want this guy here. They delivered. They, they constructed a roster where he's like, I'm not going to have 25 DHs. And, again, it, people think it was a battle. You, you're only as good as your team's constructed. So people have this thing about it's like monopoly money, okay? And everyone gets a budget, okay? Just because you spend your budget the wrong way does not mean you get another $300, okay? Because you bought the wrong houses, and that's something that the White Sox right now, they feel like, oh, it didn't work out. Rip it down and spend another $200 million. We're not the Dodgers. So when people are like, oh, Ozzy's a solution. Ozzy would be a great solution because it's like, oh, it's cool and it's new. But that growth that would have to happen for this team, it needs to happen with Ozzy, with A.J. Hinch, with Connie Mack, with A.J. Pruszynski. Anyone that takes this team or Tony. There's a level of accountability that this team needs to take up as a mature level and say, okay, now we're going to be at our standard and take that next step. They really do. 
And that's something that I'm waiting for. And I made a perfect example. Like Michael Kopech's game against the Yankees, Sunday Night Baseball, ESPN. I was like, this is a huge stepping stone for this guy. National TV. You know, we saw Tim Anderson. He's been doing it throughout the years. And it's like you see some guys do it, and then other guys are kind of like taking longer. This team needs to grow as a team and players individually in order for them to take that next step. And regardless of who the manager is, this year, next year, the year after that, they need to take that step. And fans need to stop putting it on who the manager is. And and because that's something that Ozzy made a point when he took over the White Sox was you guys just had you guys just got a really good manager fired. He said that in spring training, right. and players were like, "Whoa!" He was like, "Jerry Mann is a great manager, and you guys just got him fired." And my job is to not get fired and do what and get you guys to do what Jerry couldn't get you guys to do. But it wasn't, you know, there was a there's a part that you guys have to be accountable for. And Ozzy was very straight, and I think that it was like a maybe the players were more refreshed. But I think that the players need to look themselves in the eye and say, are we this good? When we're driving down 55 and we look at the change the game and we look at the slogans and we look at the, the really cool uniforms and the city connects, like, are we this team? Like, do we represent what we're seeing? Or are we just a team that is a highlight team? And, and, and those parts of the season, like the sweep versus the Yankees and the TA drama and the home run, I was like, oh, my God, this next series – they're going to just – they don't even – Boston doesn't even want to see these guys. And it was flat again. So, like, you need to be able to build consistency. And this is – the players need to look themselves in the mirror and say, hey, guys, I am leading you guys, but you guys need to take a sense of responsibility and in winning the right way and winning it. If not, I don't care who they bring. I don't care who Jerry brings. It does not – they're never going to take the next step. They need to look at themselves and say, we need to take it to the next step. Ozzie Guillen Jr., everybody, always brings the truth on the show. Go subscribe to Guillen Baseball on YouTube. Check out the channel. Ozzie, thank you for giving us so much of your thank time you tonight. Talk and to you guys we'll soon. See you, we'll see you next time. Yep, take care. Thank you. Thank you. Guys. Bye. All right. Bye. Ozzie Guillen Jr. always brings the fire, boys. Yeah, absolutely. He's a pleasure to have on. So thank you very much, Ozzie Jr. That was a lot of fun. It always is, man. He always he always brings the fire, and uh, you know, for the for the first time ever, he was here for. Well, I, I don't want to say I don't know how the first time, but he always gives us an hour and a half at least. I mean, Ozzy is just so generous with his time. We appreciate it more than he'll ever know. But now we get to talk about the week coming up, specifically matchup related, and Gonzo. This is a segment you usually head up. I can't remember what it's called, though. It is called White Sox Weekly. Yeah, Gonzo, so break it down for us. What's coming up this week in White Sox baseball? So we have a three-game series versus Toronto starting Tuesday through Thursday. Game one is going to be Vinny's pick on the mound and Lucas Giolito versus Kevin Gosman. Kevin Gosman's a right-hander who he's always been in Cy Young conversation in both leagues late um, over the past couple of seasons here. He's a righty. Sox are having a tough time versus righties. Um, this is going to be a very tough matchup, probably a really close ball game. And we'll see which way the pen, pendulum swings here 
um, but a right-handed battle for sure. Game two is going to be Michael Kopech versus Jun uh, Ryu. I'm just, terrible just, with names. You can just say Ryu. I, I, no. It's Hinjun Ryu. Ryu. Thank you, Vinny. I appreciate you. Uh, Kobeck, our fireballer, another AL East division contender here in the Blue Jays, and Kobeck's going to go face them in game two. Ryu, a lefty. I mean, he's been um, over the past couple seasons a pretty strong pitcher. Whatever For whatever reason, he's struggling this season. Um, but hopefully, our, you know, as a lefty, the softball that he is, hopefully the guys – Hopefully, maybe this is a game that we sparked against because we couldn't do it versus Rich Hill for most of the game. So hopefully the guys jump on him early. That's what we need in this ball game. Um, and hopefully we come up on top here. Game three of the matchup in the season in the series finale. It's gonna be Alec Manoa, who is their prominent arm at their young arm that they have. Excellent pitcher as a righty versus Johnny Cueto. And he, Coito had a really strong performance versus the Yankees. Um, very interested to see how he's going to do versus a Toronto team that is still in a great ball club. And they're my, uh, if I, I think I said it last week, but they're my uh, pick for the for that division. Uh, this is going to be a big series for the boys, and they need to remain in this division, especially losing their their leader in the clubhouse and Timmy. Um, this is going to be a big series of boys. They're going to have to step up, next man up, and get the bats rolling because you know the pitching is going to be there. Um, their batter in the lineup to watch out for lately is uh, George Springer. I'm um, just going to throw that out there. And uh, Vladdy Jr. is always getting after it. Um, two bats in that lineup to watch out for. We'll see what Tony does with those bats for decisions later in the game. Um, the weekend series uh, versus the Blue Jays. Um, it's going to be Friday through Sunday, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the rotation. Um, we'll have to see exactly what they're going to do. I think Velasquez and Lopez were rumored to be um, splitting time in that fifth spot in the rotation, but on Friday quick, it's going to be. No, I was going to say real doing? quick, let's toss it to Gonzo for or to Zim. For, God, the, the only person that I didn't say, toss it to Vinny. <laughs> Vinny, have you heard anything about what they're going to do with the rotation here? <laughs> to be honest with you guys, I haven't heard a single thing what they're going to do with the fifth spot. There's still a lot of intrigue what they're going to do with Dallas Keuchel's spot. But because of the fact that they've had two off days since he last pitched, it gives them flexibility where they can kind of skip his start by using Cease again because of the fact that Cease pitched yesterday, Sunday. So the next game that is five days away is Friday's game. They very well could use him on Friday because, as Gonzo pointed out, it's going to be Gilito, Kopech, Cueto. Cease pitched the game after Cueto against the Cubs. So I honestly think uh, Cease pitches Friday, and then they probably – they very well could roll back over to Giolito and start over the rotation again. But I'm I, part of me thinks the smart thing to do – I would use Vince Velasquez, and then that's the last time that you have to use him. I'm looking at the date. It's the 30th. Lynn's able to come off on the 6th. They're skeptical he comes off exactly on the 6th. He made a really good start um, yesterday for the Charlotte Knights. He went three innings, gave up two hits, no runs, no walks, three strikeouts. Um, 
I, I don't really think there's anything else other than to use Vince Velasquez as the fifth starter till Lynn comes back. That's what I would do. But no, I have not heard anything. But I do know that the extra off day that they had um, Friday helps push them back a little bit. And we'll see what day they end up using Cease. I think what day they use Cease will determine kind of how they line things up for the rest of the rotation after that. Yeah, what, before I got cut off, what I was about to say was Friday's matchup is likely going to be Don't Cease versus uh, Shane McClanahan. McClanahan. I think it's McClanahan. McClanahan, yes. Like the you. like the USA hockey player in Miracle, McClanahan. And that's going to be the duel of what I consider the aces for both ball clubs. With Cease versus McClanahan, their, their whiff rates are way up there in the MLB. They're right. They're right next to each other. Um, if I remember right. Um, that's gonna be sorry for cutting you off. It's all good. Um, game two on Saturday is what I'm considering to be the fits by the rotation. Whether you're just gonna be splitting the innings, splitting the game with probably Vince starting and Lopez coming in, or depending on however that game goes about, uh, we've yet to see what that's gonna be like. But Rasmussen is probably gonna go on their side of it. And then that leaves um, Sunday's game going to be Gilito versus Yerba. Love it. And then uh, uh, Margot is their prominent bat in the lineup lately. Yeah, it's a, it's a big week for this team, guys. You know, we haven't performed great against good teams this year. I think it's time, you know, they got to it's, – it's a next man up. We're not going to have Timmy. I think it's pretty obvious we're not going to have Timmy. For the immediate future, um, hopefully not a long absence. We'll probably find out more this week. But taking it to the Jays and taking it to the Rays is a good way to kind of get things moving. So um, I think realistically, I think if we get if we come back, you know, five hundred, I think that's 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 a win. But I just I don't know if that's going to happen this weekend. But I you know I'll be I'll be I'll be optimistic. I'll say you know what, let's just let's go take four games. I'd be happy if we took four games, but uh, I have no up. reason. I have no reason not to enjoy or like the White Sox pitching more than the Jays or the Rays, though. It's the offense. Yeah, no, I love the pitching. Good. The offense scares yeah. the living hell out of me right now. Cease and Giolito, they're each going to get two starts. Whether we can argue about who the ace, I think they have four aces, but. Giolito and Cease are at the top of the playoff rotation of the playoffs. If they were to make the playoffs when they started today. So those are the two guys you want going twice this week. Hopefully they're able to. Like I said, we'll see what happens with Dallas Keuchel's old spot. The fact that the extra off day can help them. But I don't know. I, I, I'm always, I go, I always go into a week optimistic. And then the offense pisses me off and then I want to throw stuff. But if there's a week to really prove your worth in the American league, it's this, this week, one, baby. Because you don't have any cupcakes. Um, you have teams that aren't the Yankees or the Dodgers because the Dodgers are in town next week. So it's not like things lighten up after that. Um, True. I think if you're not able to at least go 500 against the Jays and the Rays collectively, you probably are what you look like then, you know? Yeah, when, when teams show you what they are, believe them. It's a big conversation. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited to, to play some good teams. So it's a good way to start the week. 
we, I do have a guaranteed take for us to briefly dive into. That's our hot topic conversation in this week's guaranteed take. Yeah, so obviously the hot news is that Tim Anderson's been injured. We don't know exactly how bad just yet. But my guaranteed take for the day, gentlemen, and I'll let you guys dive in on it since I haven't clued you in on the question, is if Tim is seriously injured and out for a very long time, whether it's the season or two-plus months, what are the scenarios in which this team can still make the playoffs? And I think that's something that you know is in the back of all of our heads right now, but Vinny, what what scenarios do you possibly see with them making the playoffs without Tim Anderson? Because it's it's a big question. Yeah, there's no doubt that Tim Anderson sets the tone for this team when he bats first every single game, and he leads Major League Baseball in reaching base on the first at-bat of the game from a team's player. Um, in order for them to make the playoffs, if he were out for a significant portion of time, would be that you look at the rest of the teams in the American League playoff race. Okay, so the Minnesota Twins, that's the team ahead of you in the division. You're a second-place White Sox team right now. They're going to lose Carlos Correa for what? How long did we lose Lou Bob? Four or five games? I guess it depends on the yeah, severity. It depends on the ser- severity of the COVID-19 diagnosis. I know Giolito was on for last time. It's also a little bit different with pitchers. You hit the COVID list, you miss one start, you're back position players it feels a little longer than the rest of the or than pitchers okay so that's the team ahead of you they don't strike me as a team that's just gonna fully pull away you know if they go through a five or six game losing streak or if they go five and five over ten I'm gonna be zero percent surprised they're not like world beaters I, I I don't think they're you know, one of the elite rosters in the American League. I actually would take the White Sox roster long term over the Twins roster, but they've gotten off to a better start and they're hitting a little bit more. Um, yeah. but they have six more wins than the White Sox. Okay, so let's look at Gian brought up the uh, wild card race. If the Twins still happen to win the division, that does not mean the Chicago White Sox can't make it to the postseason. You're looking at the other playoff teams. I think Tampa Bay and Toronto are locks to make it. I just do. I like yeah. their rosters. I like their pitching. The Yankees are probably going to win the division. It's one of the best Yankee teams ever, really. And they're kind of in a funk. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. That's a funk for the Yankees. But the White Sox are 5-5 five and five in their last 10, too. The team currently holding the final wild card spot in the American League is the Los Angeles Angels. They're 27-22, wow. and 22 and they have a 2.5 game lead over the White Sox, who are the first team out um, the Angels have lost five in a row and they're three and seven in their last 10. They rely a lot on Shohei Otani at the top of their rotation and they rely on him and Trout to lead their offense a lot, which that's always going to be the case, but that's been the case for what? And especially Trout. Uh, that's been the case for seven, eight, nine years now and they still don't make the playoffs. I think Trout's played in one playoff series his whole career. So I'm not fully expecting the Angels to just be this amazing team the rest of the season. So in order for the White Sox to make it to the playoffs, tread water while Tim Anderson's injured. Um, I don't like that they didn't announce anything today, but it is the holiday. That does scare me a little bit. But they announced other things today, which makes me think the holiday might not be an excuse. Um, That is a little worrisome, but Anderson comes out of the lineup. You insert Luis Robert back in. And Eloy's going to come back. 
the minor league thing is nothing. It's a nothing burger. He'll be back soon. I do believe that it was just some leg soreness, um, day to day, whatever. It's nothing like the old injury. Um, Mancata can only get better offensively. Abreu is getting better offensively. We like Berger. We like Vaughn. Um, Sheets can only get better, or they send him down. Mendick hasn't been that bad. I think there are other options in AAA that are probably better options than him, but he actually hasn't been that bad. And Grendahl, um is can only really get better based on his standards. Reese McGuire has probably been a better offensive catcher than him so far this season. It's just not going to be that way all season long. I actually, yeah, I see Vincent's comment here about Yolbert Sanchez. I want him too. I just think if they call him up, everybody's going to be extremely disappointed. Not because he's not a great player. I do think he's going to be a great player. He's just not going to be, he's not going to save the franchise. There's That's just not how it works. I, I just don't see it. I, I see the face. But we said that about Yerman. Maybe you'll, maybe if Yolbert seizes the opportunity, he could be our Yerman this season. There's no doubt about it. That's, I mean, and it's I would fun. call him up and give him the chance. I just think chance. there's a 90% chance that we'd be disappointed with the results in terms of wins and losses. If he came up and hit 250 and played pretty good second base, a home run here and there, that's not going to save the White Sox offense entirely. It could help. And I'm not against it at all. I'd rather see him than Danny Mendick or anybody else that's not part of the future. You know, call up Yolbert Sanchez tomorrow. I just don't think he's going to have that quite that level of impact yeah. personally. And, but And I think you're going to see him when Tim gets put on the IL. I do think he's going to get called up. I do. I hope. I, I don't I just remember, though, your men went off when the Royals were ahead in the division last year. Maybe this could happen. Be so similar yeah. where yeah. we got the twins having the lead. He gets wrong. He's not going to have the value at all of Timmy. Nor will I. If he does get hot, I mean, he's not going to have historic numbers like Yearman did. I wouldn't believe. But well, I don't think anyone's going to ever produce. have numbers like Yearman did again. Yeah, but who knows? That's what I'm I mean, saying. if he gets the opportunity, I can't say. Like all I can say is, guy's the limit for him. I mean, that's what he makes out of it. To me, comparing him to Yermin to me is not fair to Yolbert because what Yermin did was so incredible. It was that it it was almost bad for Yermin that it was that incredible for him. You know, it it almost hurt. Like if he came up and instead of hitting 450 through the second week of May, if he would have hit 280 and you know didn't have the nine at bat streak to start his career batting a thousand, like part of me thinks, okay he might have a little bit more realistic expectation of what to expect from major league baseball. And it was just, it was almost like it was too easy for him at first. Um, I think Yolbert's ceiling is incredibly higher than um, your mean Mercedes, obviously, but like, I think of what Morrell has done for the Cubs. He's come in and been really, really solid since joining their lineup. He's leading off for them in most games. Today's a doubleheader situation after a 12 inning game. It's a little bit different today for the Cubs, but you know what if if they called up Yolbert Sanchez tomorrow and he had the exact same numbers as Morrell for the Cubs, we would all love it. We it'd be great. Sure. But would the White Sox be significantly better wins and losses wise? Probably not. Uh, but also though, they might. That's the thing. All I'm saying in regards to Yolbert is when I say I think White Sox fans are going to be disappointed, I don't mean at the production of Yolbert Sanchez. I'm saying if they call him up, don't expect them to rattle off eight straight. It's going to take time 
And and I I truly I wish believe, there was some lineup cohesiveness personally. I believe it could though with our pitching, because all you need is the slightest run differential to give them a lead. And an inch in baseball is huge. Yeah. You know the, the Astros really only had an inch of an advantage with their cheating in 2017, and they won the World Series. That's how big. Um, you yeah. know, the slightest difference in baseball can be. So that's actually a very good point. If Yolbert Sanchez, if let's say he, what would he bat if he came into the White Sox right now? Eighth or ninth, realistically? Yeah, that probably. Could really, that, now that's a guy that I like having to turn over the lineup to the top. If he's getting less at-bats than Vaughn and Abreu and Mancata, I, I could that's probably fine. live with that. Because my only thing, the only reason why I argued Vaughn at the order because he was one of the hottest bats that could produce – and move runners, you know, convert the runners in the scoring position. Whereas, like you're saying, Vinny, if you do have Yolbert down the lineup, you don't even have to touch Vaughn to keep him up in the lineup where he's getting his at-bats and production, and it just makes the lineup deeper if, he, if Yolbert is producing, of course. But yeah. And I, just like, I like that more than anything with Mendick or Josh Harrison. or No, no doubt. And I, I like having good hitters at the bottom of the lineup, too. I do. For me with Vaughn, it was just like their offense is so disgusting right now that let's at least try and max out the top of the lineup and get the most out of those guys. They do statistically get over the course of a season, of course, 50, 60 more at-bats a season by being in the top half of the lineup. So, you know, but if you call up a guy like Yobert, who we don't know much about at the MLB level, it's a great topic. I I hope they do it, Joe. I hope you're right. So far this season, the White Sox have only done one thing to show me that they're serious about competing this year, and that's releasing Dallas Keuchel. Until they do something oh. else, until they do something else to follow suit on that, as of right now, they kind of come off as an unserious contender. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. I mean, they're getting your trust back with with the DFA of Keuchel, and yeah. you know, I feel like if they want to be competitive with Timmy out, you call up Sanchez. So um, I hope that happens tomorrow or this week. Uh, with that said, you know, I do think this team can still make the playoffs without Tim. Um, it's not as easy as a road, but it's definitely a possibility. Um, I don't want us to linger too long in this segment because, you know, we've already gone two hours. Uh, again, Ozzie Guillen Jr. gave us a great, great, great interview, great conversation. Um, I always like to bring it down a little bit before the end of the show, something more lighthearted to discuss. We were all really excited last week for the two-episode premiere of Obi-Wan Kenobi. i got to get your guys' thoughts before we get out of here. Vinny, I know you're the big Star Wars man. I know you probably feel very similar to the way I do, but I'll, I'll let you go. Um, it struck some positive nerves with me. Um, I went in with rather high expectations just because I think Ewan McGregor is an outstanding actor in the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm oh yeah. I'm not the biggest movie guy of all time. Like I don't know Ewan McGregor's entire catalog, what makes him this actor, that actor. I'm sure he's a wonderful actor outside of Star Wars, but from what I know of him as Obi-Wan, he was outstanding in the he was one of the true bright spots of the prequel series that a lot of people he and haw about. I don't hate it as much as most people, but you know, this series so far has just been outstanding. They took it in a direction. I really didn't expect. I did not expect. I agree. I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody. There are probably some people in the chat who might've not caught it, you know, busy Memorial day weekend, Friday, Saturday, no spoilers coming from me here, 
but there's a certain character that is portrayed as a a small person who's a prominent character in the the original trilogy that I did not expect them to go that route with her step parents and whatnot. I, I really did not expect it to go there at all. Um, and just some of the things they hint at for the remaining four episodes in the show. I'm excited about this stuff, guys. I thought it was really well done. It, it was excellent. It was really well done. Can we talk for a minute how Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers just happened yeah. to magically just, just show I up out of it. nowhere? I love it. Joey goes, do you know who that is? I'm like, actually, he looks familiar, but who is it? I thought he meant like Star Wars character. Who is it? And he goes, it's Flea. I'm like, from the Red Hot Chili Peppers? He's like, yeah. I'm like, imagine being such a successful musician. That you could just be like, you know, I want to be in Star Wars really bad. Like, what's his name being in Game of Thrones too? Um, Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. He got. He's like, I really like Game of Thrones. I want to be in an episode. And they're like, all right, bet. I thought it was great. Yeah, Finny or Gonzo, thoughts on the first up or first two episodes? Yeah, I have no clue how they were going to roll with the storyline to this series, and they totally spun it a whole different direction at the last minutes of the second episode and that got me like that sent like a nerve down my spine because i'm like man there's a lot of untouched story to that that i'm so excited for but for some reason i feel like episodes three they're gonna go a totally different way and come back to (laughs) the end of season or the end of episode two and episode four but like i'm so excited because i worked 16 hours i did a double on friday so i'm like i'm gonna watch those two episodes tomorrow and Friday was amazing. I watched the new Top Gun uh, Maverick on Saturday. It was amazing, it dude. It was unreal. And then I, I, followed it, I followed it up with the two episodes of Kenobi. And I'm like, oh, I was feeling so good um, on Saturday. And, um, yeah, I just think all together, um, oh, gosh, Kenobi's going to be fun. And uh, I thought Mando was good. I think this is going to be the all-time favorite of mine. Yeah. I can't wait to see more Darth Vader. That's that's the stuff that I'm looking forward to, especially in this series. And w- without entering spoiler territory, uh, Jesus. what? You just had to say the biggest one. My what? Man. I'm trying not to throw that. Darth Vader's not a spoiler. People yeah, know Vader's going to be in the series. Yeah, it's in the trailer. They like they show him, and he's on the poster. Yeah, it's not a spoiler. I didn't say how or when or how or if you see him. So he's also um, not in the first two episodes. <laughs> well, that, I'll spoil that. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But <laughs> getting back to being non-spoilery, I am intrigued to find out the backstory of a certain character that's obsessed with Kenobi. Um, I think you see it in the first scene of the show. I have a feeling she's one of those characters. But um, again, we're going to find out more. Camille Nanjiani's character I thought was really, really good. Uh, very seedy. And uh, that's all. I don't want to go too far into it. I'm going to spoil it for somebody. And I don't want to do that. But man, I will say. If you're Ewan not in the White Box. You're spoiling Star Wars stuff. <laughs> at the I end didn't of spoil every anything. Show. I'm just kidding. I didn't, no, you didn't. You didn't. But I will say it's 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 been really well done. The effects are great. Uh, Uncle Owen, it's great to see him again. Um, just 
Lucasfilm is outdoing themselves. Star Wars Celebration was this weekend. They announced a bunch of new stuff. Uh, Ahsoka is coming uh, probably next year, the series. They announced Tales of the Jedi, which is going to be an animated series. Uh, each episode focusing on a specific Jedi. There's going to be a Count Dooku episode. There's going to be uh, Liam Neeson's going to return as Qui-Gon Jinn. And of course, you're going to get three episodes about Ahsoka. So lots of great stuff coming. A second season of Star Wars Visions, if you haven't seen it. Go ahead, Gonzo. I was going to say, can I just say I'm kind of uh, frustrated that it has to be animated? Like, I just would rather have that Jedi stories line not be animated. Say that again? That might. So I was kind of hoping that storyline with the Jedis is not going to be animated. Maybe that's just well, me. I don't like animation too much. But The, the reason it's animated is because it's focusing on characters that are too old to play their roles. Or in this, in the case of Dooku, the, the, the actor is no longer with us. So, um, yeah. you know, animation is also cheaper than live action. So I, I get it. Um I'm still looking forward to it. There's, there's a lot of really good animation out there. Star Wars, Rebels, Clone Wars. Lots of good stuff to check out. But I'm excited for everything Star Wars. Kenobi breathed through my soul. And oh, I want to point out, guys, the first episodes came out on Friday. But this every week moving forward, new episodes will be out on Wednesday mornings. So keep that in mind. You don't have to wait until Fridays anymore. So Really? Yep, the new Disney Plus release schedule is always on Wednesdays. Uh, the reason it came out on Friday is because that's when Star Wars Celebration was. Um, but moving forward, not just Obi-Wan, but all Disney Plus series will release on Wednesdays. Uh, this is because more people watch shows during the week than over the busy weekend. Damn. I did not know so you don't have to wait that much longer for the third episode of Kenobi. It'll be out in less than 24 hours. Uh, 2 a.m. Central is usually when it's available. So watch it whenever you want to beat those spoilers because I don't want to get it spoiled for me. No, 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 no. But yeah, we did some Star Wars talk. Just had to dabble in it before we get out of here. Yeah. But great night of White Sox talk. Ozzy Gian Jr., we thank him from the bottom of our hearts for giving us so much time and great conversation. Uh, we've gotten to the point where we get to do some shout-outs. Um, actually, before we do that, I want to talk about the week that is at the ballroom. We had Gabriel talking football this morning. You have the double-A team on before us. You've got Dan and Aldo bear their souls this week. Of course, you've got bar down Blackhawks, cross down crosstalk, and then Dan and Aldo bear their souls. The network's just got so much great stuff. Uh, Vinny, you want to briefly touch on what you got coming up on Crosstown and bar down this week? Yeah, the New York asshole rangers just won game seven it's really annoying i'm mad about it um that is the equivalent of the cubs making it to the nlcs for me i'm being just frank with you guys like i despise the new york rangers and they're going to the conference finals they're going to play the tampa bay lightning uh the lightning will be heavily favored they've won the last two stanley cups uh they just swept the president's trophy winners to get to this point but whenever a team makes it to the conference finals, they have a chance to make it to the Stanley Cup final, and that's not good news. So, and then in the in the West, though, uh, the hockey gods are smiling on us all. Um, the Colorado Avalanche are playing the Edmonton Oilers, and three of the top five players in the NHL are playing in that series. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and um, Nathan McKinnon are 
I would rank them one, three, and four in the NHL. Austin Matthews is number two. But, um, yeah, three of the four best players in the league. And then you got awesome depth play. I mean, their depth on both of these teams, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Jesse Pugliarvi, Vander Kane uh, for Edmonton, um, Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Rantanen, Kale McCarr. I mean, these teams are stacked, and I'm very excited. That's a series where, like, if you're just a sports fan, you tune in because of how – talented each roster is and then lightning rangers that's always that's been the eastern conference finals before and it's always an intense rivalry so i highly recommend people checking that out and we'll be breaking it all down on bar down talking hockey on wednesday um john bucigras hopped in my dms a couple days ago because he liked one of my tweets and he was thankful that i awesome that he should be the next devil's announcer and he's probably going to come on at some point soon and on of course i love bucigras fan i do yeah i love he's amazing and so he'll be on our network soon that within the next couple of weeks, I can confirm that and kind of hint at it publicly. Um, I'm not going to say it on Wednesday show because the audiences are a little different. So that's a South Burbs Hitman exclusive is knowing that Bucci will be on our show at some point in the next couple of weeks. I, I would like to do it before the Stanley Cup final, but we'll see. And then Crosstown Crosstalk, I don't have a confirmed guest for sure, but there are a couple of cool people in the mix for it. So I'm excited for that show as well, where we break down the MLB as a whole. Excited about the shows, guys. Love it. And speaking of guests, we're going to talk about next week's guest on South Burbs Hitman. J.J. Stankovitz will be joining us on the program. Uh, you know him for covering the Bears all those years. For the, Now he covers the Indianapolis Colts. And he's a diehard White Sox fan. So he will be on the show with us next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. So tune in for that. But let's get the shout-outs, boys. Why not? Uh, Gonzo, why don't you lead things off for us? Yeah, um... First and foremost, I always have to shout out my girlfriend, Soraya, um, my main supporter in my life. Um, but one thing I really do want to focus on your guys is uh, I know last week I talked about the incident that happened in Buffalo. Um, unfortunately, after last week's show, we had the incident in Texas and Uvalde. Um, I don't really want to skepticize too much about the details of that until that's been fully investigated. Um, but just real, um, all of our condolences go out to the community and um, every other community that's being affected around the country from similar incidents. Um, but also, I uh, this does hit deep to me because the person that took out that shooter is a guy that um, is in my career um a co-worker of mine so a big shout out to uh u.s border patrol um and their um their special se- uh sector of special operators this guy was uh he's always on call and uh he got the call to show up and respond and he did so and stopped the incident that could have been further worse than what it was um so shout out to U.S. Border Patrol. Um, we don't get a lot of shout-outs in my line of work. And uh, when incidents like this happen and um, the guy steps up, um, not only for the community, but our society as a whole, I have to give a shout-out where it's needed. And um, that, for one, is uh, dear, deep to my heart. So that is that will wrap it up for uh, my shout-outs. Thank you, Gonzo. And, yeah, we, we echo the sentiment, and I think we can all agree that there's just a mental health problem in this country, amongst other things. But we don't need to get political on this show. 
but we do know that this can't happen and it needs to stop. So something needs to change. Going back to shout outs, let's toss it over to the fence to Vinny. Vinny, what do you got for us, bud? Yeah, well, of course, I'm going to give my little thing as well. I, I did say it on Bar Down already. I did give a nice little thought on the whole thing. So you could go check out last week's episode of Bar Down where I kind of give like my full, you know, uh, thing on the, what happened in Texas. But, you know, just on this show, I will just say I'm shouting out the families and friends of those who were affected. I'm, I'm truly sorry that this happened. Um, we've known for years that it's capable of happening as it's not the first time we've been dealing with it for a long time. I mean, Sandy Hook was what, 10 years ago now. And hopefully there's no positive when it comes to this stuff, but hopefully people can just put their political affiliations aside one time and come up with a solution that can help us all. And there, there's gotta be ways out there where we could come together and maybe maybe this stuff will never truly go away but we can have it happen so much less frequently and you know work on this stuff and i'll be there for each other so shout out that part and then of course just bringing it back down a little more lighthearted. of course my girlfriend caitlin very much appreciative of her and all she does for me helping me with uh my career and pushing me forward with the the content game it's not always easy having to come home from whatever I'm doing every single night and make sure I record a put on your socks video and, you know, always just making sure I'm keeping up to date with what's going on in the sports world. Um, It's obviously all possible because she is in my corner and there for me. It's also all very possible because of those that serve in the military, no matter what branch it is and protecting this country, protecting our rights and doing the right thing, no matter what, for the most part, the military, all branches, I salute you on this Memorial Day, and we're all very thankful for your service. Amen to that, Vinny. Amen to that. And to start my shout-outs off, I was going to say I want to give a huge shout-out to the men and women of the U.S. military, both past, present, and future. Um, your sacrifice is not forgotten, and, and we appreciate it more than you'll ever know. Um, bringing it back full circle to today's show. Huge shout out to Azagian Jr. for giving us so much of his time. Absolutely dynamite guest. Uh, I want to shout out you guys as always for being here and doing the show with me every week. It, it means the world to me. Uh, Vinny, I want to give you a shout out as well for uh, doing Put On Your Socks every single day, giving me a video, sending it to me um, so that I can edit it together the following morning. We've done it for every game this season. Now I haven't recorded a video every day, but you have, um, I, I edit the video every day, but you record a video every day. So I, I appreciate it so much. And, uh, the content that we're putting out there is just great. So I, I really appreciate you doing that. I want to shout out to my beautiful wife, Catherine, my baby girl, Audrey, four months and my, my great Dane Maverick. I love you all. I'll come see you guys here in a little bit. And I want to give a shout out to everyone in the chat room. Great stuff tonight. Always great stuff. I, I really appreciate you guys joining us and uh, giving us great comments. We, we we love it. And that's pretty much it. I, I think it was a great show. We went long. Two hours, 20 minutes plus. But you know what? Having Ozzy on the show, he can talk. We can talk. It's a recipe for good, good conversation. So I'm looking forward to looking back, checking out the show. Oh, and a shout out too to Zim. Zim couldn't be here tonight, but we're always thinking of you, bud. And uh, that's that's all I got, gentlemen. So we got a big weekend. 
or not big weekend, big week. It feels like a weekend, but it's actually the start of the week. Um, <laughs> big, big week coming up against the Jays and the Rays. Going to be a big one. Let's go get some wins. Check out Put On Your Socks every day on our Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. The video's out every morning, somewhere between 9 and 11, depending on when the game is. But it's always there. We appreciate you checking it out. Um, let's win these games, gentlemen. Let's uh, let's have a good week. So let's go. Let's go. Let's win. I can't. I can't get my thoughts together. Let's just end the show. I'm gonna roll the credits. Let's get out of here. Uh, I'm getting to the point now where I gotta have a cup of coffee. So anyway, gentlemen, great show tonight. Love you, brothers. Let's go, White Sox. See you next week with guest JJ Stankovitz. See you next time. <laughs>